Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League Rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard and get ready for an hour of nothing of the NRL tour. And we are back two rounds into the NRL season. A couple of surprises, a couple of things that are not so surprising, and uh, some cracker games, I reckon, so far, Boxhead. Yeah, first two rounds have been good. It's uh, definitely an improvement on last year, especially the refereeing. I've enjoyed things much more and the flow of the game. I heard a few people this week that were saying that some penalties crept back in, some bits and pieces, but as far as I'm concerned, if teams still are pushing the mark, especially... Inside 20, I'm happy for the referees to blow penalties and still send blokes to the sin bin if they push the envelope. No. Other than that, in People general play... no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Other than that, I think in general play they've been good. But in particular, inside that 10 area, I'm happy for the refs to still be harsh if teams want to push the envelope. Yeah. But uh, kicking things off, we jump straight into our set of six. First point we've got here, uh, one that's really bothered me over the last couple of weeks, and it happened again on the weekend, and looking at junior footy like we're around, the concussion rule. There's obviously been a lot of talk... Uh, James Graham coming out during last week and some different opinions there. And he's seen some doctors and uh, basically said it's his life and he'll live it the way he wants. And I've got no problem with that. And good on him for going and getting some testing done and other bits and pieces. But uh, looking on the weekend, I think it's a bad look that Isaiah Yo gets chopped in the face last week, goes off and then gets concussed again on the weekend. I know he passed his test, but surely... If you've gone well, off, he didn't get concussed. He got he got a head knock. Well, I know he got a head knock, but repeated head knocks two weeks in a row that have required HIAs. Like surely we're going to get yeah, to but a HIA point. Yeah, HIAs is a way to check the severity of a head knock. Yeah, I understand that. It but doesn't he's mean still he's had a concussion. He hasn't had a concussion two weeks in a row. A concussion would mean that he's ruled out. Well, you're still saying, tell me he suffered no bruising to the brain, no bleeding, no trauma at all. Like it's if you've been he's dazed, had head trauma, it doesn't mean you at. get a concussion. But it's two weeks in a row; it's repeated yeah, head it's, traumas. But that's where it gets a little bit murky. Think people think that just because they go off, they have they've had a concussion. They're testing them for a concussion. If they've had a concussion, they're ruled out, and they're not allowed to return to the field. If they, uh, if you know, if they pass it, it's it's deemed that the the head knock wasn't a concussion or severe enough of a head knock um, to affect, I guess, their decision-making, their IQ. Um, and, you know, and the testing's pretty pretty full-on. So uh, I'm comfortable with the, the testing. I'm comfortable with the protocol. I think, however, this is a bit of an anomaly because we've never seen it happen really two weeks in a row like this. Um, so I think it's something the game's going to have to look at. But, he, yeah, he wasn't concussed two weeks in a row. I'm not- he's, he's had repeated... Uh, like a head knock two weeks in a row. And that's my point. But I... a cut on your head and a cut on your arm. Like it, To me, it's more how he gets up. Was he knocked out? Was he wobbly? I think and he, well, he, he was, was wobbly. Buckled so, straight away. For me, if, the rule should be if you've had, you know, he, did he get ruled out the week before? 
So he got ruled out. He wasn't allowed to return to the field from the scat test in the in the Eels game. Is that right? I can't exactly remember. I mean, I'm honest, pretty sure I'm he pretty wasn't sure able to, he to was come back. So last week. He's then he then has to get a, a clearance. So they've obviously cleared him and said he's okay. He's passed the scat test in the lead up to the Newcastle game. So for mine, as soon as he gets another head knock, it should, he should just not be able to return and to the that's field. My but point. the the fact of the matter is, there should be an eighteenth man. Yeah, I know. And then you. You, well, you'll take it out of the club's hands. It'll just be right. Oh, he's had two in a row. That's it. Off. All I'm getting at is there needs to be some kind of registrar, failed or not, for repeated head traumas. You surely can't... Like, if you have four in a row and you keep passing week in, week out, whether it's deemed to be severe yeah, but, enough but to that, be a concussion, but, it's repeated head trauma. Yeah. Like, surely at some point, like you're saying, we have to take it out of the club's hands. If or it's a concussion more. two weeks in a row, definitely. Yeah. But if it's not a concussion, if it's just a head knock or you've copped a bump... Like, because it's it's getting pretty tight. Like, if mm. you cop any contact to the head, you've basically got to go off and have one. Mm. Or if you stay down for anything, you've got to go off and have one. Well, so think- the, the testing's probably, well, it's not too tight, but it's very, very stringent and very, very tight, mm. So which is fine because we know the impact that concussions had in America and the head testing that's going on over there and the brain trauma and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, there is some, um, some data now and some tests that can analyse and project if someone's going to have brain damage or brain issues in the future. So Yeah, and part of that is genetic, which we found out some people are Get more prone that. to. Yeah. But like I think I my other side to this as well is exactly what you've just got at. If this was more stringent, I think teams would also stop abusing it as much because I think I teams think are abusing times, as much as what they were. Yeah, I'd like to think not, but you still see cases where I can't remember which game it was in the weekend, but somebody who had an arm injury went off for a HIA, which was just ridiculous, and they claimed it. And I'm kind of sitting there thinking if this was a bit more stringent in the sense of repeated head knocks or if people were abusing it and certain players were getting put on the register multiple times for head traumas, maybe clubs would be less likely to try and push the envelope there as well. But I think the main point is just, I know he passed and it wasn't exactly deemed as a concussion, but if you're getting weekly, like a couple in a row, there's got to come to a point where on a register they can keep a track of it and say you need a week off. And then if you've had two or three, okay, I'm sorry, but you need two or three weeks. Or like you are saying in your case, not to disadvantage them that there is the 18th man. Well, to be. It's a no-brainer. There's 18th, 19th there on game day for just about every single team. Well, there's an 18th that warms up. They warm up in, at our level in mats and ball. So. so That's that's just my kind of thing from the weekend. And I, I'm completely with James Graham. It is his life and he's getting tested and good on him for being proactive. And I'm all for it. It is a contact sport. I'm not trying to be a helicopter here. Well, like we talked about in the past when people say, what can we do to take it away? It's a part of the game. It's a part of the game that's not going well. It's a collision sport, so it's, it's always going to exist. But yeah. the players, well, it's going to get to a point where you're going to have to sign a waiver. Yeah. You're going to have to sign a waiver and just say, look, you understand what the risks are. You understand that you can get brain injury. We're not going to be liable for it. Yeah. You get paid well. And this is the other side that I'm more so, getting at. I want the game also to protect itself so we don't have a case down the mm. track like the NFL where I, I know they've got stuff in place, but I think we could be a little more proactive is basically I think what I'm getting It's got to be individual liability. It's not the game's – like it's the game's responsibility to have the right protocol. But, yep. you know, if a doctor or a club are abusing it and they're taking advantage of a player, that, that comes back to individual liability. Yep. There, and there's conscience. no way the NRL can be everywhere no, and over everything. So, All right. Second point we've got here for the set of six, second tackle, expansion and relocation. It's been a hot topic in the last week and a half or so. All kicked off with some words that were uh, uttered, I guess, by Todd Greenberg that it's hot on the agenda or sometime in the next 12 months and that the commission's going to expect some change uh, as to what that means. It's all still a little bit grey at the moment, but there's been plenty of speculation that 
part of it is more about relocating teams rather than expanding. And we've talked in the I past hate it. I hate relocation. about expansion. But my thing is, if we're going to go anywhere, it, we have to expand, not relocate. And I get when people say, oh, well, if a fan base is torn away, you'll lose some fans, but hopefully you'll gain some and other people will be rusted on the stay. But to me, if you're going to expand in 2019 with the TV deals we've had, with the money, with the whole setup of everything, we shouldn't be trying to shrink or insulate ourselves and remove. Like, if... Part of that comes back to the NRL not doing as much as, say, the AFL. When we spoke about this before, about getting assets and future-proofing themselves and making the most of their money to be in a position to expand, I think, which is why... Well, I the get- biggest barrier is development and participation rates. Development and participation rates are dropping. So I wrote an article, or I wrote my column about this in the Nepean News that's coming out this week, that it's all well and good to say you want to expand or you want to relocate... Um, well, relocation is not going to be an issue because it still remains 16 clubs. But if you're going to expand, you need an extra... You've got to go up by two because it's an extra game. And as you said, it's going to be uh, attractive to potential TV deals, etc. Yeah. It's going to give you an extra game. But with an increase in two clubs, it, it's an increase in 60-odd players. So you've, you've got to do two things. $13 million. Dollars yeah. Two times. yeah, that's fine. I think, I, think they'll be, I think they'll be fine in that regard. But... From my perspective, it's more about the 60 players and the quality of those players distributed across the 18 teams Whoa. to make sure that the product is still just as good. So that then comes back to development. Yeah. And there are a lot of clubs spending no money on development yeah. and they're saving all their money to spend on their NRL teams. And you know the argument is, why would I spend a million dollars a year on um, a development program that might produce me one or two NRL players when I can just go out and buy a superstar for a million bucks? Yeah. Okay, so I think there's got to be some sort of... Um, I guess a fee in terms of if, if a player say he's developed at Penrith, um, you know whether he goes and plays for Canterbury, whoever it is, but there, there's a fee paid to whoever develops him by the club who ends up buying him. So if he goes and then gets a five hundred thousand dollar deal with the Roosters, I think if Penrith have tipped three or four years in development, they should get a fee for him. So then the money sort of equalises, or that money should then go into the pot, which then goes back into participation and development. I think at the moment. We've just got a lot of clubs, uh, namely a lot of clubs in Western Sydney. I think Brisbane, the Gold Coast, Newcastle, they're doing a lot of developing and they're not getting a lot of reward for it. A lot of the time, they're sport for choice and they've just got to, they've got to try and pick the best young kids at 17 and 18 because you've got these other clubs just coming in and picking the best kids out of their development systems. There's no really way to protect um, you know, those development clubs. So for me, they've got, there's got to be incentive for every club to develop. I think also the other problem goes back to what I've said before. Every time we've expanded the pay, it's always going to the top end. We don't help the bottom end, which is why there's guys in the Super League who, to me, shouldn't be there yet. They're That's my 21, 22-year-old yeah. guys that bail because the minimum wage... They go there wage, for two reasons. Either, like you're saying, yeah. money, and the second reason is opportunity. And half the point there, I know people out there, like we're average Joes, we're only working, man, and you sit there and go, well, the minimum wage is 110 grand. What are they complaining about? But if you have to move every year to a new squad, relocate... You can't exactly buy a house every yeah, time. Also, they pay rent, single, there's dead money, there's furniture. Yeah, if you have single, a kid, like you're not really making a lot out of it. So that's what they get enough in. if you're single or even if you're married or got yeah. a partner who's not working, who's looking after well, children. Rent's dead money. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to do bits and pieces. They don't actually get as much as what you'd think from a club. If they can go to England at 21, 22, a couple of hundred grand and they get a lot of help with relocating and housing and all that. Mm. And again... That's why they go. It's an easier comp. That's no offence, they, they last yeah. longer. They That's play they for go. a lot longer and they make money. Yeah. That's I also think go. a big point that was made, and I said this uh, in the off-season podcast we did, 
player behaviour and these other things, they've bought into the game, they own a bigger piece of it now. What's to say that sponsorship dollar and TV dollar and everything's not as good next time? I know the ratings are supposedly yeah. going up, but there's also streaming services and there's other things that are come, going to come into play here that maybe reduce the deal. Well, I think Todd Greenberg said that they're going to survey any potential area that they're going to travel, they're going to well, expand to, which that's is smart. a necessity. Yeah. And to I, say, look, would you support this club? Would you sponsor this club? What's the stadium deal look like? Where do they play? What does it look like? What are the travel arrangements? Where do they train? All that sort of stuff. Well, the two big ones, and again, I can see them both. Brisbane, I think, have got a big enough talent pool, and I think there's the demand there because realistically, when you look at it, bar the Origin game and the Broncos, you take a few games away, they get 10 games a year, roughly. And then you look at WA, who I brought up before, Twiggy Forrest, or whatever his name is, I always forget, who was involved with the rugby union setup. He is stacked with cash. He's rich. Somebody like that, if the NRL can get someone like that to support a club or buy in or take over... That's the kind of deal that, again, like you're saying, you need to get in beforehand and look at and say, are we going to get support here? Are we going to have to float this for 10, 20 years? Because unlike the AFL, who are willing to keep tipping into the Gold Coast Suns and the GWS Giants, I don't think the NRL can afford to do that long term. Mm. So they'd really, really have to look at this. Relocation, I don't even really want to touch on it, to be honest, because... It's a shit idea. Whether we come back to the Tigers or the Sharks or the Drought, like the couple of teams that people are talking about and saying this could happen, I'm with you. It doesn't work. I don't see it working. Why would the Tigers want to move? Like whether there's money involved with it. There was talk about Manly and Scott Penn getting a win for to move his team. Like uh, I, I just don't understand it. And the, and the Sharks thing against the Dragons and those two areas. Like the Sharks are supposedly going to get forty million dollars out of that development, which is going to keep them floating for a while. If that happens, well then they're financially viable. You got the Dragons who just got bought by the Wind Corporation and have the backing of the St George Club, so I think they're pretty financially sound. Uh, I think the only one you could possibly say isn't as financially sound is the West's Tigers side of things. But again, why would they leave? They're two clubs that have been around for a long time, in particular yeah. the West faction and the Tigers, and they cover a big area. And no one's going to give up in their right mind. Natural attrition is going to happen in Sydney. It's yeah. not going to happen now. There's no there's no point pushing people out. And that's my point. In the next 12 to 18 months, who's going to die? No one. Exactly. No one. So we should It'll be focusing be on growing another, rather than... for another 10 years. Yeah, we should be focusing on growing but and doing the things do we've spoken if, about. As soon as a club falls over, it should just be, listen, you're next in line or whatever it is. I, I, I just think, wait for a club to fall over, prop them up for the rest of that season or a season after that, and then, uh, and then say, put a licence out for expansion. Yep. It's easy. Or again, focus on the things we should be focused on. Player development, growth, getting the minimum wage better finding money in those other areas and expanding our brand rather than trying to shrink or fool somebody out there and causing issues with fan bases and people within the game. Let's look to grow the game and do it the right way and that's have the finances you need the to have the players to in order to be able to do it. At the moment, that's the biggest issue for me. I don't think money is an issue anymore. We've got enough money. We've got a huge TV deal. If they can't find the money to, to do a decent uh, job of expansion, I think we're kidding ourselves. Yep. Well, there you go. That's our opinion on that one. Tackle three, fast start for the Eels and the Tigers, one that you sent... Uh, through to me today, so I guess on well, that they're not side two things, teams that you thought. Well, maybe potentially two and zero. They've jumped out of the blocks really well. I think Blake Ferguson's been a huge injection for the Eels. He seems to have filled that role that Radraja filled last time. And Sevo, another big body. Yep. So that they they're flying at the moment. The Eels, mind you, they played Penrith who weren't real good, and the Dogs who were going like a busted. Um, you know, the Tigers they ran into Manly, who I thought were pretty ordinary round one, and then the Warriors who were as unpredictable as any side in the competition so it may be a little bit of fake form and they may still be teams that miss the eight but it's a good start for them it's going to be confidence building uh, I think there were mentions that the Tigers won five out of six last year to start the year and didn't make the eight so I guess the challenge is going to be can they do it for the uh, the duration of the season but 
it's a good start. Well, I think the big thing for me in both these situations is I'm happy for both coaches. Like I picked the Eels to get the spoon, but again, I'm more going off last year. Did I trust Moses, Paulo, and a couple of the guys they brought in? Are they going to make that bigger difference to such a young squad? Mm-hmm. Reed Marnie's been outstanding. Yeah. Dylan Brown has proven in his first two games that he's definitely well up to the standard of NRL. And I know a lot of people weren't happy with the way he spoke during the week, but we complain when players don't speak their mind. So either way, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But the way he played on the weekend, and whether you like it or not, we've said it before, the halves market is always inflated. So he's going to get paid whether Parra like it or not. Whether you're a Parra rusted on fan, Peter Sterling and a couple of other people who weren't happy about it, the bloke's going to get massive offers because he's an 18-year-old, he's playing first grade. And I don't really think it matters how the year goes, even if he's average or just above average for the year. There's going to be big money for an 18-year-old half. Mm. It's just reality. Um, But hopefully, for Brad Arthur's sake, like we said, I think he's given a lot to that club. I think he's not had the best support around him, whether that be coaching, club-wise, and in all facets of the game. I think the players owe it to him, especially the guys that were there last year. So I really do hope that they keep pushing on and he does get himself a new contract. And for Michael Maguire, I'm happy for him as well because the way things ended at South, I thought that was a bit awkward. Um, I know... We said it as well. He needed to change there, and he didn't really. But like the way it kind of happened, and getting usurped by Seabold, who's turned out to be a great coach, no doubt. But that whole thing happened so quickly, um, and after he got them that premiership that was so elusive over a long period of time. If there's one thing you can definitely see in the Tigers in the first two rounds, it's the ruthlessness and resilience that he demands. And they look fit, yeah. and they are very fit, and they were they absorbed the other night, and they were just savage, and they completed high, and they would not go away. Mm. So good starts. But we'll see what happens. It's only two rounds in. Tamalolo in tackle four, six to ten week injury. We're only saying last week that with him back, those guys around him, Maguire, McLean, etc., Hess, um, you know, Morgan being back this year, that we're looking forward to this new generation and seeing how things move forward. But huge dent to lose him for six to ten weeks. And to be honest, once he went off the other night, they were not the same forward pack, that's for sure. No, and no. why I thought Maguire stepped up and tried to do his best, he's not really an impact forward. He's a worker, he's a grinder. Gavin Cooper, another year older. The bench guys, I thought Mitch Dunn was actually quite good, but even McLean, I thought, uh, wasn't quite as impactful as what I was hoping. But the impact of this for the next six to ten weeks, I haven't really looked at their draw, but this week playing the Sharks, a team that's willing to grind, um, whoever they've got coming forward, you know that they've lost the best forward in the comp, realistically. He's definitely And, and it's going to have a massive impact yeah. uh, when people say what's going to happen there. It's going to affect everybody. McLean... Maguire, all these guys are going to have to step up, work harder in the middle. But the biggest thing is, regardless of whether you can replace the minutes or have another forward in there and the rotation or that, you don't get those quick play balls. You don't get the offloads. You don't get the tackle breaks. You don't get the second phase, the space. It's just there's a lot of things that roll off the back of him. He's the number one forward in the competition. Yeah, he is. So I think they do have the quality in their pack. You still can't say they don't. They've got Australian representatives, they've got Origin representatives, but it's going to take a step up from a lot of those guys. And in particular, I think Cohen Hess, for a third season, I expected to start the year a bit better. I think he's been a little quiet he's been poor. the first two weeks. He's been very poor. Josh Maguire, why busy? He, you know, he's not going to have that impact. But McLean, we're talking about McLean, who got to play for Australia, getting an opportunity and being up to that standard. I think he's got to be more consistent now. He's healthy and back in this year. Yep. So big challenge probably to to him and Hess in particular, who are two younger guys. Massive loss. Massive loss. Huge effect on them. We'll wait and see how they go this week against the Sharks. Tackle five, 0-2 teams, teams that haven't got a win yet and any concern over them. Well, two of those teams are the Dogs and Manly. I don't think that's really a surprise, in all honesty, that they've lost their first two games. Manly, um, quality of depth, players in the side, that environment, new coach, 
yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking most people had the bottom four. So I don't have any concerns on that side of things. I expected that, and I don't think it's going to get much better. On the dog side of things, again, salary cap changeover. They flipped some contracts. They kind of cleaned house and almost admitted that it's going to take a couple of years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. The big question I think out of this is the talk is Dean Pay was safe regardless of results. But the way they've lost the first two weeks is a bit worrisome considering at the back end of last year, myself included, a lot of people were praising the effort they were putting in for the coach. And it doesn't seem to be the case now. Oh, well, they were. People they started are, well on the weekend. Yeah, but... p- people are already calling for blood, but I don't see you can put this back on him after two games. Um, yeah, but there should be more um, accountability. On the no, there should be more transparency about when a coach takes a job like that, it's all well and good for the fans just to think he's going to fucking click his fingers and solve it. It's yeah. not how it works. No. It's not how it works. It's going to take him two years to shovel out the shit contracts that exist there that Des Hazler left them in in his panic state to try and get another contract. Yeah. And then also the fact that they've sort of gone away from development, similar to what Newcastle did for a period of time. And, and that resulted in Newcastle winning three wooden spoons in a row because they forgot about who they were. Um, so for me, Dean Pay should have just been given two years just to clean the shit up. Then after that, similar to what Nathan Brown's yeah, done, it is an after Brown that situation. it's like, okay, well, now we want to see you climb the ladder a little bit. Because at the moment... How many of those players that are there has he signed? Has Dean Pay signed? Well, a couple of them. Like, no, I know that. But again, what I'm saying what, is, yeah. in terms of the percentage of the squad, how much of that squad oh, would Dean, Dean Pay sit there and say, that's my, you know, it, it yeah. might be 20, 30% of the guys but that are What I'm out. also saying with you that those signings were made because you have to fill requirements. You of have course. to have a certain amount of players. So but what I'm saying is that they're, they're that's not, not his fault. Not, yeah. I'm saying the exact same thing. It's not his fault, but he's handcuffed by the salary cap for one. They had to get some bargain buyers. They've gone out and got a couple of younger guys in the theme of what you've said, development. Your Crichton, your Harrow, and Irish guys that are younger with potential and some years left, hoping that they may strike a bargain. And this is where this is where my point, go back to your relocation and all that, yeah. and, the, and the fee on teams that develop them. So Penrith do this great job developing Harrow, and Ira and Christian Crichton, and the Bulldogs just pinch them at a cheap price. And they don't give any money back to Penrith. Do you not understand what I'm yeah, saying? They're like, I understand like, the complaint. The, the money, the money has been spent, and the time and effort has been spent. We we'll talk Panthers. about the other year, like Canberra blowing up because not only did they lose representative players who went to clubs Carney, for cheaper Dugan, deals, Ferguson, but they put themselves in Brisbane and picked up a bunch of players that the Broncos were missing for a period of time just to yep. lose all of them back to Brisbane. So yep. I understand completely where you're coming from, yep. but um, those two don't surprise me. Going back to what we're talking about, the two that do surprise me, I guess, are the Titans for one. But again, if you look at it from the outside in. The halves aren't there to start off with. But that makes no excuse for the way that they're defending. Their defense on the weekend was awful. I think they look rudderless in attack. Their edges have been very disappointing. And poor Jai Arrow, like, God bless him. He's well, they had two tries early disallowed. They looked good early, the Titans. They just couldn't get the ball down in a couple of occasions. I, yeah, I don't know what to make of them. They've had Taylor out, obviously, which hurts. He's, he's on a million dollars a year, and he's sitting on the sideline, so that's going to hurt. But outside of Ryan James and Jai Arrow, I think, there's a few guys that are really going to have a look in the mirror. Yeah, 100%. The Dragons, the situation, I think we know. There's quality there, but it's boom or bust. They're sticking with this spine and how the way they're trying to force things. But I think there's a lot of questions here, and there's definitely pressure in this situation, I think, more so than any other because they've basically put things on hold for a year by putting Norman in now, putting Witt up to fullback, signing Dufty and putting him on the bench and just basically trying to play happy houses like nothing's wrong. But there is something wrong. They've got a player there who realistically looks like he doesn't want to be there. This week, he basically comes out and They've almost throws the coach under the bus and says that he'd rather play six, but he's playing one because that's what they want. The real one's sitting on the bench, and then you're playing with your future halves already. So we talked about this on the way to the football on the weekend. A tough decision needs to be made. 
Either well, that was my point. You put I've him said back it the to whole six. way along. McGregor at the moment just doesn't want to drop anyone. Doesn't want to upset anyone. Doesn't want to light a fire under someone's ass. Well, I don't know how you can upset Gareth Gridop when he signs a four-year extension with you. Doesn't even get into yeah, the start me, of his new knows, deal, and he wants to leave. Yeah, he wants to leave. So, so for me, see him. you later. They should. Well, I said that in our off-season podcast. And I don't care if on. he's playing cut. That's your future. But that's right. You can band aid now. now. I'd now freeze him out. Well, I'd punt yeah. him to reserve grade and just say, well, you're not here next year anyway. We've got Norman who's going to replace you, so away we go. Let's work on it, yeah. That's kind of the whole point there. And I think the other thing from a salary cap perspective, I know they didn't get much time to flip anything or make the move, but they lack bench depth and they lack forward depth. And especially now, I think, as much as I think the spine is affecting them, I think the bigger part is the forward pack still on the bench. Of course. It's yeah. really hurt not having DeBell in there, obviously, and then losing Frizzell on top of it and not being able to rely on your bench is killing them. Mm-hmm. So there's a tough decision that needs to be made there, but... I think if anyone should be worried, it's McGregor because he's in a contract year. They're looking to give him a possible extension, but this whole situation, right, rightly or wrongly, whether it's him, whether it's the club that's more in control of recruitment, which I'm pretty sure the club dictate to him mostly, Millwood and a kind of a panel there, yeah. um, his job's on the line. Yeah. And on the flip side, I know that the halves are missing for Brennan, but if he gets Taylor back and they don't play well, his job's on the line to me as well. Yeah, well, it is. Because he's actually got some pretty hefty players in, in the last... Well, I suppose 18 months, two years that he's been there. Yeah. In short space of time, sorry, only 12 months, he's done a pretty good roster flip. But those two more so than the dogs and Manly, I think there's pressure on the coaches and there's concern. Absolutely. Last tackle, one that you sent through. Uh, I didn't really read into this story today, but Jared Mullen, something's occurred there. Yeah, well, he's had a near-death experience. He almost overdosed on drugs, and then there was implications throughout social media and on the news today that there are several Knights players there and that there was going to be a big... Um, sort of implication for of Knights players into this sort of drama, but there hasn't been. The um, chairman, I think, of the Newcastle Knights came out and denied that any of the 36 contracted players were there, but it just shows you where Jared Mullins at at the moment, um, that he's almost died. Well, it's a hard end to his career. I think he got caught for steroid use or something, wasn't it? And they basically culled him straight away. And he was a guy who was having injury problems, who was on a big contract that wasn't a part of the regime that was there and... Once he was banned, obviously, they moved on pretty quickly. So why it's hard to feel sorry for someone that's made so much money and had a pretty illustrious career, obviously, it's taken a toll on him. And I don't wish that upon anybody. You know, obviously, uh, off the field and mental health is a serious issue and he's clearly struggling. Yeah. So um, wherever he is out there, hopefully, he gets the help he needs and uh, all the best to him moving forward, I guess. But to finish on a more positive note, it's not something in here in the set of six, but we talk about the negatives in football these videos in the off-season, assaults, all these bits and pieces, but there's been finally a bit of good news reported during the week and hopefully we see more of it getting out into the mainstream media or through social media and random pages like ours. But um, Tarek Sims meeting a couple of fans at a McDonald's and buying them meals and hanging out with them and talking to them and Corey Norman also after the game the other night spotted a fan wearing the brand that he uh, has with Isaac John and I think had a chat to him afterwards and found out that he didn't have a lift home and took him home from the game. So uh, just on a more positive uh, note, I know bad news sells, but there's a lot of good stuff that does happen behind the scenes and the players don't get enough credit for the good they do. Yeah, footy smiles is the page. Um, You put that up on the our one. So They're the boys. The boys from NRL CEO, I think, have sort of pioneered that a little bit. Um, and it's just a way for people to share good stories. So if you've got good stories, go over to the page, let them know, and and they can publicise it. Between that... Clarkie's column, NRL gossip. There's a lot of pages out there that put up some of the better stuff and it seems to come more through the media and the Facebook, social media kind of people that aren't getting paid again, to do these sort not, of things. It doesn't sell. Like, I know it doesn't and sell. The stupid thing is, is we fucking consume it. Stop consuming the shit and exactly. it won't, it won't, there won't be a market for it. Yeah. 
that's the bigger issue at the end of the day. But Lila also says hi if we've heard any screaming. We've also had a whippersnipper going in the background, but it doesn't matter. We're here talking footy. All the background noise means nothing. That's our set of six, and that is brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre and obviously the Pro Sports Syndicate, our two sponsors on the podcast. We appreciate them very much. Get behind them. Support our sponsors. Rising energy bills, it's just, it's a fact now. I work in the industry. Things aren't going to change. Privatisation has seen things bump up 60%. So how do you defend yourself? You ring the Penrith Solar Centre, you get a good system, and you start putting money back in your back pocket. Give them a call, 1800 or go to www.penrithsolar.com.au and see what they can do for you and help put money back in your wallet and your bank account and the Pro Sports Syndicate. If you love a bet on the football, bet with the experts. Their NRL package for tips over 450 throughout the year. It's a mix of lines, props, totals, all sorts of bets. They're offering it to our listeners for a discounted price of $6.99 for the year. That's $100 off the regular price and if the package doesn't come up with a profit percentage for the season, you get next year for free. So if you're a serious punter and you like your rugby league bets, get onto that offer from the Pro Sports Syndicate. But jumping in now to our reviews from the games of the weekend. And first up is the Thursday night game between Souths and the Dragons. And uh, much like last week, the Dragons got off to a very strong start. But in the end, couldn't hold on to it. And a big part is, as we spoke about before, missing DeBellin. Missing Frizzell, and then that bench impact. When that bench comes on, it's just not quite the same. Um, South start a little bit flat as well. They got picked on on their new edge there of Greg Inglis and Gagai. They didn't have the best night defensively, but a bit like the Cowboys game, I thought. They had a couple of 20-minute periods over. They didn't look too bad when they had Sims, Vaughn, and those guys rolling, but uh, overall, South come on heavy over the top. Yeah, South had a better bench, better 17, and they were just waiting for the chance to pounce, and second half they did. Simple as that, I thought. As you said, the Dragons probably dominated. Well, they did dominate the first half, and they didn't have enough scoreboard um, points on the scoreboard to show for it. No, nah, early on, like Sims went clean through off that simple little shuffle dropped step it. there and dropped that ball. There's another try gone begging. Uh, Pereira and Lafayette had a bit of a field day. Like we said, get down at that right edge and going after GI. And uh, obviously Gagai there, but I think Lafayette from his side of things, they probably could have had more opportunities and been more dangerous, but he threw a couple of hand grenades. Every time he got a half break or poked his nose through, he just had to throw it off load. So probably the big one for me is when Leilua went on. That was the the critical period just after half time. They had him there. They got him to bite on the inside and rush in, and he left a hole open there for a try. And then the second time, he was a bit lazy, slid out, and they beat him on the outside shoulder and left Ben Hunt posted. In that first 10 minutes of the second half, all of a sudden the game was blown wide open. But I think the most impressive thing for Souths is the fact, like we said, people had doubt on their bench. I think getting Ethan Lowe, Liam Knight, those couple of guys just before the season started has proved out to be a good stroke. Absolutely. I think their bench yeah. is better than what it was. Cody Walker, uh, like I said, I, no secret, anyone who listens to this show, I'm a huge fan of. I think he's outstanding. Reynolds is kicking game. Cook is developing further this season. At the back end of last year, he started to add pieces to his game, but he's not just running. All the time now, he's probing, he's pass selection, he counts numbers very, very well. Braden Burns, again, the other night in that left edge was outstanding. And I think one of our fans asked us last week, is it a positive that Burgess isn't on edge? 100% it is. You better players on an edge, isolating small players and getting quality ball rather than just being battering rams is proof that you're obviously confident in your middle and also puts them in a better position to be more effective for you. It does. So... All those things, plus Cameron Murray, who, along with Dale Finucane, are throwing up their hands, I think, to be contenders for that 13 jersey for New South Wales. Um, there wasn't a whole lot I could say negative. Well, Cam Murray's got to be a mile ahead. 
it's just the start, I guess. Um, like I said, the starts are got to be fixed a little bit for South and, and the Dragons. I don't know how they're going to fill in that gap for those flat periods because the bench isn't getting any better. Frizzell's going to be gone for a few more weeks and we still don't know what's going to happen with Debellin. And the spine situation, uh, we can keep talking about it until we're blue in the face, but I think we've both got our opinions on it. For me, it's more, if he's not going to be there, I'd just be going with the future spine right now. If not, moving back to six, reshuffle it however you want. But if you're going to play one of them off the bench as a utility, it'd be Norman before Dufty. None of them. Oh, I'm with you. But None if you're going to play one of them, you can't play a fullback off the bench. If someone has any utility value, it'd be Norman. But at the same time, why bring him there this year? They don't have like, one. They don't need one. McInnes is an 80-minute hooker, yeah. so you put an extra forward on the bench. And at the moment, where are you getting chewed? In exactly. the forwards. And everyone Hello. keeps talking about, oh, it's, it, why is it not work or it's a new it's a thing. It's argument it's, 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 trying to, it's common fucking sense. It's trying to play differently. It's not It's not smart to reshuffle your whole spine. It just ruins the cohesion and the flow of your side. It's just negative all around. Yeah. So someone has to make a hard decision and they need to make it soon, but... I uh, thought Vaughn again, Sims were good. Lafay, if he cut out a few of those errors, had a pretty good game. And Pereira was very, very good in yardage and carrying the ball. South, as we said, Murray, Sam Burgess, halves are good. Braden Burns, etc. Good round effort for them. And two from two, moving into this week against your mob, the Titans, which is a bit of a danger game. Yeah, Three I'm going to go and have a look. Go and have a look on Sunday night. Yep. Second game, Melbourne Storm, 22-10 against the Canberra Raiders. Another victory for them. And I think, again, damage was done in the first half. I uh, thought Melbourne's middles were absolutely outstanding. And I throw up that name again. Dale Finucane, who's the picture of consistency, had an outstanding game. Asofa, Solomona and Bromwich working as a tandem. The width of the passes that come from Cameron Smith and Dummy Haas, they're just playing straight into space. They're moving from edge to edge. They don't waste any possessions. Kenny, after a couple of years and having an opportunity last year to get that edge, looks like he's really wanting to hold down that edge spot now. Uh, the other side of the field, Felice Cafusi, it's a great forward pack. And I think their bench is getting better again and contributing this year. And for Canberra, unfortunately, errors, penalties, that has hurt themselves. And Melbourne picked on that brand-new edge they've got on that left-hand side. They made a point of getting to the right-hand edge. they got Jack White, who likes to be aggressive. And then you've got Croker, who tends to hold a little bit. They picked on him. They caught him at marker once and played down that side. They also caught Charles Nickel-Clogstad in the line, put that kick in behind. Um, yeah, 14-0 at halftime. The damage to me was basically already done. Second half, I thought Canberra showed some fight. They rolled up field. They had more possession. Melbourne lost their way a little bit, but it was never really in doubt, to be honest. The tries they did score, was the, the first one was Similar good. Similar to the week before. They had a little period there where they let Canberra back into it. Yeah, and that and was when their steady. middles were off too. Yeah. But I think that try that Canberra scored sums them up. When they play under football and let it loose a little bit, it works out well. The second try off the strip was a bit of a nothing try, but Melbourne shut that down straight away. They took an intercept, go down the other end of the field, and a simple front row will crash over, and the game's basically spoiled. My question is, I know the defensive side will get better, even though they've changed up their edges. They've got Rapana back, and I thought Nickel Clogstad had a really good game at one, but just the, f- the fluidness of that spine. I didn't really know what they were trying to achieve. I didn't see enough of Caesar. When Whiten gets the ball, basically he's a runner. I think Caesar needs to take more control. Hodgson jumped a lot of times from dummy half and had nothing cooking and just had to turn it back to the middle of the field and pass it. So I'm a bit lost at the moment as to who's really steering things or them working together. I see Hodgson trying to be the real dominant creative player, but I don't see Caesar contributing enough. I know Jack's only new in the half setup and Nickel Clogstad's more of a runner, but that definitely needs to improve. Absolutely, um, yeah. On their side to, of things... To beat the better side, yeah. Oh, 100%. They're going to be competitive. They're going to be, you know... Around about Canberra, but yeah, and there's some positive ways to go to to punch with those bigger sides. There is some positives there. I thought John Bateman was great again. I thought Papali had a good game, uh, and I think Charles Nickel Clogstad has 
been a good player at the Warriors, but look at the back three. It's been hard for him to get a gig. Yeah. He's not going to play over Sheck. He's not going to play on the wings over Mar Mullen and Tour. But I think they've got a real quality pickup there and someone who should play one. And I don't mind Jack Ben at six because he's a better defender and more of a natural runner. I still think the big one's Caesar to dominate from halves. So, yeah, he hasn't played good footy since he's been in Canberra. Yeah, and I think they've got a real find in Corey Horsberg, who they invested in as a development player last year from the North Queensland Cowboys and brought him down, a former Australian schoolboy. Plenty of fire. He probably needs to ease up a little bit on the head pattern and some of the stuff he's got in his game, but it looks like they found another good forward. So uh, I guess for them, just a bit of development in the spine. For Melbourne, um, what do you say? They, they were great. They were good. Smith was good. Munster, Croft had a better night. Last week, they targeted that channel. Of Milford this week, they went after that edge. I think the only period for them is, again, just getting through that 20-minute 20 uh, 20 period where their bench is good, but maybe not as effective as when they've got Nelson, Osofa Solomona, and Bromwich on the field. But uh, a lot of positives, and Hughes was good again as well. So, yeah, good times for the Melbourne Storm, and they move on this week to play against the Penrith Panthers in Bathurst and the Canberra Raiders at home to Newcastle. So that's an interesting one. Speaking of two teams clashing on Friday night, it is the Broncos and the Cowboys, usually an absolute cracker game and had plenty of feeling to it early, but most of the hope was drained out of that game early when Tavita Pengai Jr. delivered that shot on a stationary Tamalola and his knee got caught in that tackle and from that point onwards, they looked like shot ducks. And The intensity of Brisbane after a loss last week and playing against a rival and being back at home and the energy of that young forward pack, I thought they were just relentless. Mm. They went after them in waves for feeder, Tevita Pangai Jr.'s two stints were magnificent. Tom Flegler, game two, a 19 at 190 metres. He was an absolute savage. Sewer, Gillette, like, it's just relentless. And the fact they're going to get Haas back. I thought Nick Arima had one of his best games in grade. He genuinely looked like a number seven the other night. He controlled things really well. Kicked well, ball played. McCulloch even looked like he's expanded his game a little bit once they got rolling and clearly been encouraged by... Anthony Seabold and Jack Bird. That's the best signs we've seen from him, looking like the Jack Bird that come into grade, who's just a dynamic runner of the football, who bounces around, can offload, push through. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of positives, full stop, for the Brisbane Broncos in that game. Absolutely, yeah. They Like, it was a good game. I, I was um, engaged in the game, but it was very, very clear early that Brisbane just got the jump and the Cowboys had no answer, really. Physically, they looked faster. They had more possession. And the Cowboys, to me, tried to play to the corner post a little bit too much. They were looking for an easy way out, and I think Paul Green said just as much in the post game. So, yeah, it was, that's more of the Broncos that I expect to see, and I think they're going to get better gradually as the season goes on. They're young, so at the moment, the difference between their best and their worst performance, you know, that gap's still got to close a fair way before they get up, and they're going to be able to compete with those uh, higher-end sides like your Melbourne Storms at the end of the year, but... I expect Brisbane to be just one of those teams who gradually get better every year, similar to what South did last year uh, under Seabold. And, um, it, yeah, it's just going to be an interesting side to watch. Um, but at home, they're a different prospect, aren't they, Brisbane? It looks like Suncorp's going to return to that uh, graveyard for teams. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think on the Cowboys' side of things, I will give a little bit of credit to them. I thought they were tough considering losing Tamalola early. Nana McDonald got knocked but out their, in the their first forward half. Pack, their forward pack isn't playing up to where it needs to be. Not all of them, but I, like I said before, I think the real expectation needs to go on a couple of the young guys. I think Maguire did his job, and he was hunted the other yeah. one. But between McLean and Hess, who are two younger representative players. McLean's like, been ordinary. I think Matt, Scott, Matt Scott's past He's it. 35, 36 yeah. years old. Like, it's not his job anymore to do that. He did his job the other night. But I think McLean, 
Hess, even Cooper. I know he still played Origin last year, but they still maybe don't have the balance right. They've got a couple of young guns there, but they may have held on to well, one or two of those many, guys. Too many guys that are past their best. The one who surprised me, not not because I, you know, not saying he's a good football, I just haven't seen enough. Was Mitch Dunn off the bench? I thought he actually yeah, he was good. Was pretty good when he came on. Looks like he's got a bit of skill. Threw a nice pass on that edge, ran hard there. So maybe there is a little bit of turnover that is still needed in that forward pack. But there definitely is. The reshuffle in the back line hurt, and somebody else, I think Kahu, went off for a bit there. So they only had one on the bench. Um, I thought Martin actually didn't look too bad at fullback. Yeah, he, he went played back well. There. Does that help out Morgan and take a bit of pressure off if you put Jake Clifford in? They need Clifford to find in? a stable partner for Morgan. That's another issue that they've got. So there's some questions still there, but the Tamalolo loss is huge, and we'll have to see how they recover from that one. But it doesn't get any easier this week. They've got to go play the Sharks. They are at home, but. Uh, yeah, you know what you're going to get from the Sharks most weeks, In that's the for sure. Lolo out, your forward leader, it's going to make it tough. 100%. Speaking of that team, the Cronulla Sharks, 20-6 to 6 over your mob, the Titans. Uh, to be honest, the first five or so minutes with a couple of errors and some penalties, it was all Titans. It was all they'll, Titans. They'll park down there, yeah. they'll get over the line a they'll couple of times. they nothing to show for it. And at the same time, I think that's just pure Cronulla. They absorb on their goal line. They're very, very big on their goal line defense, but I will give a rap. As Not this... having halves also didn't help. Yeah, 100%. I give that, but I think... With that being the case and having Jacks in and having Brimson, who's more of a one, in my opinion, they took too many setup plays. There was too many one-outs. They didn't offer a lot there. <laughs> On the Sharks side of things, though, I still think they've kept a bit of the old grit and defend their goal line, and they're a tough side. But John Morris, with a blooding of Sione Katoa, having Britton Nakora in there, you've got Sean Johnson and Moylan back at one, in particular on their right edge. They, they look a lot more dangerous in attack this year, I think. And I think the scarier part is they didn't really go to their left, but Josh Morris, once Wade Graham gets back on that side helping out Townsend, opens up that side of the field as well. Mm-hmm. And Jaden Braley got hurt early. He's a very solid player and a solid defender, but his brother's a little more dynamic and attacking. I thought when he came on, he didn't look out of place either. So I think there's some real positive building blocks there. And the fact they can still rotate from Andrew Fafita, who plays 65, 70 minutes, he can play a full game if you want him to, and Matt Pryor, that they can roll into Jack Williams, who I've got big raps on, and Aaron Woods who doing that role there for them is very, very solid. They've still got a good side, in my opinion. And there's depth there still in waiting from some of those young kids that they've built up over the last couple of yeah. years. But the bigger concern here for me was the edge defense of the Titans. When they were down there, in particular, their left edge, Cronulla's right, uh, they just looked at sixes and sevens. They did opposites. They didn't know what they were doing. Peachy and Branko Lee weren't on the same page. The man inside them defending... Uh, I'm trying to think what half it was. Yes. I had it written down. Yeah. wasn't much better, but they, they kind of looked like they were Cartwright's hesitating. on that side of the field as well. Yeah, when he got on the field. But yeah. a few times there, first time it looked like they were going to jam. The ball got thrown straight over the top there because they were short of numbers. The second time they hesitated, they just played around them. Katoa got around them. And then next time it was one went in, one went out, and Britain Accorus ran through a gaping hole off the back of Sean Johnson. So yeah. uh, they've got some concerns yet. They definitely need to work on. But big positives, I think, for Cronulla that they opened up multiple other times. I didn't think, if anything, they banked enough points considering how many times they split them open. And it looks like they've been given a bit more of a license to offload and play free-flowing football. Matt Moylan looks outstanding back at one. I don't think they ever should have moved him into the halves, but obviously with Holmes moving on, that's the situation that they've got there now. So, yeah. Jai Arrow, though, I feel heartbroken for. He couldn't have done any more on the weekend. Yeah, he was good. 300 metres or 299, 27 hit-ups. Five or six off, like, like he just went all he's day. He's yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's absolutely outstanding. And Ryan James, I'll give a rap to. But Boyd, Jared Wallace, a couple of these other forwards, a couple of guys there Jared Wallace step up. Bad. Pete's has had no impact the first two weeks. I think Rain needs to come back into the fold. I honestly thought they got more an attack out of Mitch Rain. I know Brimson was put 
on the bench week one as that utility play. But even there, like he's not a nine. You can't play him as a nine. Like, this fascination with having a utility on the bench. Like, and I love Mick Gordon, but again, as a ball player, he, Brimson's going to go. He's one. steady, but Brimson's your one. If you want to get your future going now, uh, I like him. But if you don't trust Semi and you don't trust Don, I'd rather Steve have Gordon, Gordon on a wing. wing. That's right. So, yeah, on that side of things. Have to see what happens with the Titans moving forward, but they most certainly could do with getting their halves back because why Jack's tried hard and Brimson tried hard. Uh, they need a solid halves partnership and something to build off and to settle on a spine. But moving on to our next game, the Penrith Panthers versus the Newcastle Knights, 16-14. I don't know about you, Boxhead, but this was actually one of my favourite games of the round. Yeah, it was like both sides didn't want to, um, didn't want to win the game, but I, I, I enjoyed it because I wasn't going for either team. I just uh, thought it was a real it, grind. It, it was. It ebbed and flowed. It was It was a grind. Real physical. I still think they've got things to work through, particularly their spines, but I think the biggest difference was it was nice to see Penrith have a bit of an attitude change. And I think some guys who were pretty poor week one and had some questions about them. James Maloney obviously came out and answered some of the rumours about him being moved on, and we talked about him being a bit lacklustre. Did he miss some tackles still? Yes. Did they target him successfully? Yes. They got a couple of penalties out of him. They made him miss plenty. But more importantly, and we've said this before, He's got the old scales of good and bad. You know, there's going to be some ugly, there's going to be some penalties, nil discipline, but he came up with a couple of ripper try savers. He put a shot on to force an error. He kicked well, and I thought this week he was right in the game. Uh, Nathan Cleary was much better this week as well. Fisher-Harris, Campbell Gillard finally showed a bit of that spark, which is more deserving of a player that should be playing to that level, that standard and origin. I think yeah. he was pretty quiet last week. And the other one, again, for the last couple of years, I don't think he's really lived up to his title, but I think the first two weeks he's been good. James Tamia. Well, James Tamia had another good performance. He's been their but... best forward the first two weeks. Yeah, Close 100%. enough, too. Oh, has been good. But, and yeah. funny enough, oh, we no. talked about that earlier, but having a look just before, they've ruled Isaiah Yo out this week because of the two head knocks. Well, they might have got a tap on the shoulder. So in that sense, I, I kind of wonder. He did pass his HA, but maybe they're looking out for his welfare that he's had a couple of knocks and they're giving him a week off. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought this was a real back and forth. It wasn't the prettiest game of all, but they've both still got things to work out in their spines. Dylan Edwards being back from his shoulder, Katoa, the new the halves pairing under Cleary in the different kind of style of play. I thought this week that obviously it was just yardage. They had much more energy and intent. Their back five were better. There was less errors. The forward pack as a whole was better, and that just kind of trailed off to everybody. On the Newcastle side of things, they're still working through their spine, but similar deal. I thought Pierce done his job as always. Ponga had some moments, that nice ball where they got them everyone to kind of buy didn't create the overlap because Maloney, there was a bit of doubt on him making a tackle and Lee finished it. And I think they both would be disappointed with the crash overs they conceded. I think the Fisher-Harris one was a little more acceptable seeing they isolated a smaller man in the front line. But on the flip side of that, Nathan Brown said as much. He was very disappointed with the Isaiah Yo try just after halftime. Yeah, absolutely. There's four players there. He didn't really seem to be going anywhere and all of a sudden he got his arm free and scored that try. But... Penrith obviously broke out for that 16-8 lead and looked like they were in control of the game. Um, effort plays, like we said, uh, like the Malachi's Lesniak one, knocking that back in play was a great try. But Newcastle certainly came home with a wet sail. They came after them late. They had some opportunities. They came up with a try, which was the Barnett one, which was a, a nice way there, just a, an effort try. But luckily in the end for Penrith, they held on it and much needed given, like we said, all the off-season scrutiny last week's result and everything that's been swirling around the club, it's, it's a good result. It was a good result. Like, there would have been plenty of um, things floating around, I guess, in the media and a lot of external pressure if um, they'd gone 0-2. But it's one, I think, that Newcastle look at. It's one that got away for them. Yeah, and I thought, uh, in particular, Clemmer, good again. 
Yeah, he was good. Fitz good Gibbon, the first two weeks. Yeah, always good on that edge. Kenny Dow, he has his rocks and diamonds weeks, but thought he had a good day. He had like eight tackle busts, five offloads from the back, so he got their set started. Ponga, I thought, had a better game, considering he did get caught out that one moment there where he went back to his fullback instincts. It looked like Maloney was kicking, so he's darted in behind the line. Then they've played into that space where he was and turned Fisher-Harris through, but yeah. he'll learn from that. But I think the main thing right now is, again, just if they're going to go that way for the whole year, obviously that needs to keep building. But Watson did his job at the back as well. I thought yeah. his carries were strong and he involved himself. Probably the bigger question still for them is Hooker. I like Levi. I don't, man, I don't mind what Man is doing, but I still think they need more out of that position going forward. Um, the fact that they can now have Barnett, Guerra, and Essie who wasn't even in the team last week off the bench, shows that they're definitely stronger in the forwards and that there is massive signs of improvement in Newcastle this year. So I'm sure they'd be disappointed they didn't win that game at home. But, um, yeah, for Penrith, just the effort and intent was completely different. So I think that's the biggest upside for them. Fisher-Harris, Campbell-Gillard was great. Maloney, Tarmow, and I just think energy and defense and their intent was so much better this week. So good building blocks for Penrith. And Melbourne next week in Bathurst doesn't get any easier. No. And if Yo's out and they've got any other changes, and uh, on the flip of that, Newcastle down at Canberra, it's a, it's a good gauge, I guess, for them where we're still trying to figure out where they are. This well, year. yeah, and first away game, I think that's going to be a real yardstick for Newcastle. If you want to be a top eight side, you've got to win away from home. So yeah, they've put in two solid performances against uh, good teams in the Sharks and the Panthers, and now they'll um, you know test their credibility, I guess, on the road. Most definitely, Roosters, Manly. This one uh, again, I don't read too much into it, but it was basically over in the first half. It was twenty-two nil. To lose Friend and Cronk and come up with the performance that they did, I thought they were outstanding. They obviously cleaned up the errors that they had from last week. They rolled through them in the middle. They exposed them on the edges. Luke Keary, much like he did in the grand final, proved that he can be the dominant playmaker when he needs to be. The try assists, the measured kicks, the way he controlled that side, he was absolutely outstanding. Radley did his job in the middle there. Orbison, you got the ultimate utility. But Jared Rhea Hargraves, like further in the game, yes, they did concede some tries, yes, they kind of let it go a bit in the second half, but you got to look at it. They had one on the bench at one point there. They had to reshuffle and patch up, and they're already missing a gun nine and a gun seven. So I'm not really going to get angry on them for letting the scoreline get reeled back in, but Jarabria Hargraves literally came off for about 20, 30 seconds because of a HIA that somebody got, and they put him back on. He played a full 80, 240 metres or something ridiculous like that, 43 tackles. That He's still very underrated in my eyes. I know he's higher up there. In the last couple of years, he hasn't really been spoken of. I thought he got back to his best last year, but the way he started this year is just brilliant. Yep. And Latrell Mitchell filling at six, I didn't think he looked out of place. Kicked the 40-20. He bloody love-tapped that one and it flew a mile. Yeah. And there's been a lot of talk this week, people blowing up. I think Gordon Tallis was quite angry on the radio saying, why did they do it? Are they trying to Craig Bell and move him to six for the sake of it? Well, no, well, they had an injury. They had an injury. They got a reshuffle. The bloke's clearly skillful enough to play second fiddle and play that role. He we- played in the juniors. At exactly. Four, and so if, if you play at one, you can play, play at six. Correct. And he's an exceptional footballer. If you've got a good center or a good backup, like an Orbison or someone you can plug in and you need a key player, why not? When you've got it's that luxury, no-brainer. why not? It's do it? So yeah. I don't think it's a long term move. And people are saying that maybe now they might feel moving forward that they don't need to go out in the market and get a half. They might see Kiri as their seven and Latrell as a six. If you have a good enough centre and you, you like it that way, I don't I don't see why you wouldn't want to go there. Mm. But Adrian, uh, sorry, Lachlan Lamb on debut in his short half hour in that second half, he showed that he was quite solid defensively. He held his own. Had that nice touch on that kick under pressure that set up that try. Um, so they've got plenty of options there. And they've obviously been the talk in the background now that Flanagan's no longer at the Sharks, that his son would be interested in going there. And he has ties with the Roosters prior to moving to the Sharks. So having that Brock Lamb there... Lachlan, they've got plenty of options moving forward, regardless of how this year pans out. But 
just showing again how talented football side they are. They are, absolutely. Um, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Boyd Cordner had a pretty good night. On the manly side of thing, I think the only real positives I took out of it were Corey Waddell's debut. Not only was it well-deserved, but I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, he was. He's very, very, very good. He will definitely be featuring uh, in this team moving forward, I think. Yep. Daly, Cherry Evans and that were all pretty quiet to me in the first they half. They someone from the Titans today. Did they? Uh, manly, yeah, front row. What's the big boy? Is it uh, Morgan Boyle? Morgan Boyle. Morgan yeah. Boyle was big raps uh, when he was at Canberra, and they were disappointed when he went. But he played some first grade, obviously there. But now he's on the outer, clearly. So he's still only twenty two, I think. Yeah, big human being. Definitely something that they're not lacking at Manly, I guess, with Tapau and Fenua Blake. But depth never hurts in that position, Absolutely. and that's something they're certainly struggling with at this and point. And obviously, in time. the Titans were trying to move off him. Yeah, so I don't think that's a bad signing to be no. honest. I think for the manly side of thing again, just depth. I think there's effort there from a lot of players, but it's just I think it's going to be a hard year. Sure. Um, Kane LG to me, the first two weeks has been pretty disappointing. I don't think he's really helped Daly Cherry Evans at all. Not having Tom there is obviously not helping, and Elliot's trying hard. Ruben Garrick, all these guys are trying really hard. They had a couple of nice moments in the second half, but like that back five in general, bar George Tafura is very inexperienced. And even Moses Suli, I've been think his efforts have been okay the first two weeks, but they're very young and inexperienced, and it's not helping. No, exactly. Um, right. So. Yeah, their second half, I commend them. The other one who impressed me, no offence, I know Appy Corosio has off of being injured, but when Manisi Farnu come on, Manisi Farnu was a lot better than Corosio. He was. So I tell no, you what. No argument out of me on that one. He um, Moving forward. His speed out of nine. He's also very physical. Like yeah. When he runs, he, he looks pretty similar to Corosio, but he's actually a bigger body than what you think. Yeah. Um, if they get 10, 12 weeks in and Corosio is kind of struggling or not defending well or he doesn't quite come back from this injury, he should be worried. He might lose the minute share and be on the flip side of it. Yeah. Honestly, I think the way he plays is probably better as an impact player. But yeah, I think it wouldn't surprise me moving forward if Farnu keeps playing like that, uh, that he finds himself getting some more minutes. So interesting for Manly. I think the big positive for them, they always get the same out of Jake, but they get Tom back this week. That's massive. So getting Tom back is a massive. relief to Cherry Evans. He basically plays like a second five eight again, as we know. Jake couldn't be doing any more than he's already doing. Tap out churned out plenty of meters, but not having Fanua Blake definitely hurt. And Joel Thompson. Uh, a great character, someone who's definitely changed and altered over his career. 200 games on the weekend, a big congratulations to him. But um, I think more positives coming out of that for the Roosters besides those injuries. So Brett Morris, not sure quite yet how long he's out for or if he's out at all. Brett um, Morris. But, yeah. They're saying that. two to three weeks, I think, aren't they? Cronk, friend, I think they're named this week. But, again, there was talk that they may not be 100%. So they've got cover there if need be. But I'm sure they want those guys back as soon as possible, which is very, very important. But Absolutely. moving on. Eels, dogs. I think the big thing I took out of this is it's nice to see Parramatta more with the attitude and intent they had in 2017. Where we may have questioned some of the players and like look at it as, as on paper, but the effort that was put out on the field outdid what you thought opinion was. And looking at this, the first two games here, there seems to be more of that attitude and intent that Brad Arthur instilled in 2017. Yeah. In this current yeah, mob here. Absolutely. I think. Having those bigger wingers, as we said, to help out in yardage, yeah, they're holding off. the ball a little bit better. The, the one thing for me, which tells me that they're legitimate, is that they were down 10 0, and they, they looked yeah. rattled, they steadied, and they racked up a score. And the best part about when they went down 10 0, it wasn't like an RC try or a one out or a panic. The first try they grabbed was off building pressure with a couple of repeat sets from the boot of an 18 year old named Dylan Brown. Mm. Uh, I think their forwards did a good job. Junior Paulo played 50 minutes. That's a good sign from their investment because, as I said before, if they're going to pay $700,000 for a prop, you're going to want quality. Mm-hmm. Sean Lane, I think they got for a decent price. He's doing a good job. It's just made them bigger in general. Plus, like you said, the two back players, 
Sivo, they got for a song. He's on a bargain deal. He helps out in yardage. And then you got Ferguson, who was the best ringer by, bar none in the competition last year. So all that definitely made a difference. And I can't think in my mind a game where I've seen two intercept tries in a row. And no, I think they said that in the call on the weekend. First, it looked like the dogs were about to hit back and build some pressure. And then through a critical pass, which led to a 100-meter intercept. And then not long after, I think it was Faitala Marin or someone popped an offload and Sean Lane got to run 50. Mm. So I really can't remember a game at any time I've seen two intercepts, let alone for the same team, back-to-back for tries. But uh, that last try in particular, when Dylan Brown was pressured from the inside, skipped outside, played... I've got huge concerns over the Dogs' defense. Oh, it's that's what I said last week. Uh, as much as people said, oh, their completions and their attack look good, you can complete it 90% and look okay with the ball. If you can't defend or can't stop... Leak like a sieve. And the, pro- the issue is it's their middle defense. Well, Teams think, aren't having to go real far to score points. No, nah, it all starts issue. in the middle, which... And there was a couple there where Parramatta got called for a full pass on the right edge and they went straight through them. And so it's it's worrying. That was the other spot I was going to bring up that you just said. Their left edge defensively, other teams' right attack of Lachlan Lewis, Kerrod Holland, and I can't remember which back row they had there to start with, but they were in big Barney rubble. Yeah, Lachlan Lewis bit in a couple of times. He looked a bit lost. He got bulldozed one-on-one by Ferguson because he went out too hard. The second time he bit inside, left a bit of a space. They played straight through it. Um, yeah, there's some legit concerns for them. I, I, I couldn't pick out a lot of positives as far as players and their performances for the Bulldogs. I, I think while Will Hopawate in the past hasn't lived up to the dollar bill, I think you get what you get every week out of him. You get a solid performance. He does his job. I thought Napa with his try and his 180 metres and his two stints was pretty good. But other than that, it was pretty hard. And even Josh Jackson, I think it's wearing thin on him, looking at him in the games. He's... His body language, his effort's not questionable, but I just think he looks a bit flat. I think it might be wearing on him carrying the toll uh, of all these changes and the hardships at the club at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. They've got a lot of changes this week, but from a power perspective, like I said from the start, I, I, I hope they don't come last. I hope they get Brad Arthur's contract, but all the questions on these young kids, so far they've come up trumps. Reed Marnie was outstanding, played to the middle, probed, defends well above his weight. That nice play there where Suaso Su shot out from A and he jumped in behind and set up the try for Gutherson. Gutherson in a contract year after a bad year, real positive attitude over that team, real positive influence, hard trainer, energy guy, pushed, supported, set up a couple of tries. Ferguson, Sivo, Lane, Paulo, and Dylan Brown. Whether you like what he said or not this week, uh, he had a cracker game. Oh, the, he was, the footwork, yeah. the poise, the kicking game. Um, it's only two games in, but like and, I said and before. And I'm just questioning the opposition they've played. I yep. want to see him get really tested agree. and have some things go against him. Um, but if there's one thing I've figured out, though, they're definitely. Not, I don't think they're the wooden spooner. I already regret that. But again, oh, I've got I, you've got the eels and I've got the tigers, and they're sitting first and second on the table. Yeah, the obvious one you'd think at the moment would be the bulldogs, but we'll have to wait and see what they come up and with. This I, week. We said that last week. The bulldogs look look like the wooden spooners at the moment, but a season really ebbs and flows, and things happen, and it could just be that you know the difference between Manly, the dogs, um, the Titans is a major injury, and that's who gets a spoon. You know, it's only yep. going to take those teams don't have depth to rely on. And you look what's happened to the Titans without Taylor. They look rudderless. They can't score points. Well, I think they scored, probably, they scored six points in two weeks. I think the one thing probably overlooked a little bit why I thought the Bulldogs had a lot of okay players. They really don't have a superstar. Josh Jackson's probably their best player, but you don't really he doesn't really affect results when you look at it. Mind you, looking at Parra before the season started, like I like Ferguson, but. Is like a, a winger does make a big difference, but again, like they, I think that now looking at the way they're playing, they've probably got bigger players to lose, say, than the Bulldogs do. So that's probably the one oversight there. Mainly the only reason I didn't put them last is exactly what you're saying. Cherry Evans, Corusau, some of those forwards are bigger name players. The Draboyevichs have actually got a couple of big names, even though they don't have the depth, which is why I didn't put them 
uh, down there at the bottom. But right now, unfortunately, for Dogs fans, it's not looking too good. Mm. So we move on for that. Last game of the round. Speaking of the Tigers, 34-6 to over the New Zealand Warriors. And what was ultra impressive about this for me is it felt like for 25 minutes, 30 minutes, they were just under the pump. The Warriors had them down there and they had possession. They had them on the line and they just couldn't crack them. And it's one thing to absorb, but then it's another thing off the back of that to turn it into points. And I think that was the real hurdle for the Warriors at halftime. They would have went in there and thought, we've had all this possession, all the running, got upfield, got ourselves inside 20 in camp there, and we've come away with nothing, and they've grabbed two quick tries before halftime, and suddenly it's 12 zip. I think that really, really got on top of them. And then again, for the second week in a row in poor conditions, the Tigers have just knuckled down and said, let's fight, let's get dirty. And they completed it 90% in shit weather. They dug in. Their back five all got 100-plus metres. They did those one-out carries. They played to the middle. Their forwards, like, Twile's been really impressive to me in that starting rotation. Madalena and Paco. Uh, Paco are doing a good job when they come in and rotate as well. Robbie Farrow, we had questions over his age and him kind of staying out of the way and mixing in, but he's not overplaying his hand at the moment. He is choosing three tries this on the weekend, plus a try himself. Benji's kicking game the first two weeks has been exceptional, and it's letting Luke Brooks be Luke Brooks. He picks his moments. He probed at the right time the other night. He set up a nice try. All round, it was just a ripper team win. And I think Maguire's, you know, got them nice and fired up and being resilient and relentless and playing for one another, which which is a real positive. Yeah, you've summed it up. The Warriors, the reason why I was so impressed with Parramatta is because they, they're similar to the Warriors and they get in a hole and they panic and they lose their composure. And the Warriors just, they, that's exactly what happened to them. They felt the scoreboard pressure. They lost their composure, uh, and they just looked rattled the whole game. And but I, I, I felt probably for sixty minutes of that game that the Warriors were only a try away yeah. from really clicking and maybe coming over the top of the Tigers. But as you said, the Tigers completed high. They kicked well. They played field position. They played the conditions well. They played tough. They defended well, and they just outgridded the Warriors. It's yeah. as simple as that. And you know, it's a mark of Mike McGuire. That's you know, a trait that all of these teams have, they don't beat themselves more yep. often than not. You know, occasionally they, they're going Mentally to. Mentally tough, good defensively. Just, yeah, the conditioning and the fitness levels and their strength looks really, really good as, as to be expected. It's another trademark of, of Madge. And no, they, the Tigers have really surprised me, I've got to be honest. They've, they've looked outstanding the first two weeks. And to sum up what you just said. I just question the opposition they've played. Yep. That's all. Well, we'll wait and see. But to bring up that again, that resilience, the mental toughness and the will to get into a grind and fight to the death. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 90% completions to 65, 19 misses to 39 missed tackles, 8 for the penalty count, and the errors were 15 to 7. So if you want to talk about, again, who played the conditions better, who was willing to get ugly, do the small things right, and just contribute as a team. Like when your back five all give you 100 metres, your forwards, you get three or four over 100 your halves and your spine kick well, your pressure, and you're just willing to go through the process in the wet weather of completing high and waiting for mistakes, they did that perfectly. Absolutely. And like I said, those key players, in particular Robbie Farrar, cashed in at the right moments. They caught out Fusitura a couple of times. They got him in the middle. 
Uh, I thought everyone was good. And I thought Moses and Bayer being back it definitely helped as well in that spine set He's a stabilising influence, isn't he? He had a real good game. He's still learning a bit on his ball-playing side of things, but I think he's only going to get better and better the more he plays at fullback. So yep. there's some positive signs there. And, um, Ryan Madison, underrated Bayer, but I think between him, Garner and Aloe, obviously getting some time on the bench, we, we know that Maguire likes a bit of anger and a bit of fire in his team. I think he's got a couple of guys there that I think were underutilised a little bit last year. Um, so... That's good, fair. Yeah, good, that's good, fair. good signs early on. And that's one of the question marks I had over them as well was their depth. So, Oh, there you go. Their depth looks good. That wraps up the reviews of the games from the weekend. Before we jump into our fan questions, a big thank you has to go to Penrith Solar Centre. As I said before, bills aren't getting any lower. They're at 60% increase since things have been privatised. It's a necessity. Brock's got a system. I've got one. So does our old man. Just put some money back in your back pocket, basically. Summertime just went past, and our bills are usually around eleven, twelve hundred dollars because you can just run it through most of the day. The ducted aircon and all the bits and pieces at home, uh, our bills were just under half for the majority. Yeah. So it really basically paid for itself. But tackle your rising power bills head on this season with the help of Solar Energy. The team at Penrith Solar Centre are passionate about helping Western Sydney Sinbin rising electricity bills for good. Find out how the Penrith Solar Centre can make you and your family the big winners this season with quality solutions. For your home, visit www.penrithsolar.com.au or call 1800 20 29 30 today and have a chat with the team there who do an outstanding job. But as we move on to some of our fan questions here, as we load up Twitter, first of all, I reckon Boxhead. We'll see what the fans have come up with tonight. Ooh, what have we got? First one, Stoney says, what's your views on Ryan Hall for the Chooks? Is he past his best? Haven't seen him play in the Super League, so not sure of his ability. It's hard to know until he plays a game in the NRL. And but fresh um, off an ACL at I age 30. I love Ryan Hall. Prior to that, we talked about out, could do with him. outside backs uh, coming over here have usually struggled because of they've been smaller or different kind of players. He's the prototypical NRL outside back. He's a big body, big enough to be a back row. Center type, he's got a good yardage carry, and he finishes. Yep. So the question is, at age 30, off an ACL, how is he going to be moving? I don't know. But if he moves anything like he did with the physicality that he plays with, he's going to be a very, very handy addition. I don't know if he can live up to the Blake Ferguson levels or move up Blake Ferguson at the age he is at now, but he will be very handy in yardage if he does get back. And as I said last week, Daniel Tupo has great weeks, he has bad weeks, but if Ryan Hall gets back and Morris is healthy... Daniel Tupou may get squeezed out. I'm, I'm not sure yet. Mm. But Ryan Hall, during his time in England, was the best winger, bar none, in England. So, good player. Slomax, why, no matter who the coach is or the players are, are the Warriors not ever able to sort out their away form? So frustrating. Love the pod, lads. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought last year they had a real good year on the road. I think they won above 50%. I think actually their, their away record might have been better than their home record last year for some reason. I'd have to double check it. But yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, well, they have one of the hardest travel, travel schedules. Yeah, like so. They're travelling internationally. They've yeah. obviously got to wait a little bit longer at airports. They're more time away from families. From home and family. Yeah, so... It's, it's a hard but, ask. You know, that can also be a positive if you enjoy the guys you're playing with and you're travelling and you're on the road and... You know, you you got more time to connect and chat and build relationships and friendships. So I can have its upsides as well. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just probably more more travel. Yeah, more travel, more time away from home, more time out of bed. I think they they'd struggle sometimes session wise as well. Not all the time, but they'd have really condensed days. I think or times where it'd be like we're going to get here, go to our rooms, have a recovery session, then you hit the field. Like yeah, some weeks or some travel periods for the Warriors would be terrible compared to others. A lot more management has to go in. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Gavin says, from a player's perspective, what is a video review session like when you've had a Barry Crocker? Any stories to share? Yeah, I look, I've, as a coach, I've been lucky enough to, <clears throat> well, lucky or unlucky enough to go through a few. I know Garth Brennan, he had some marathon video sessions during my two years when I was working with the Cup in the 20s at Penrith. Um, and some of the boys would just say he tears shreds off teams for two hours. Um, and he's really, really thorough in, in his video. Um, I've seen some at SG Ball level, like where we are now, that go for five minutes and they're short and sharp and um, to the point. But for me personally, when I run video, it's, it goes most of the time it's 20 minutes at, at most, half an hour at most. And for me, if, if the team's had a Barry Crocker, there's no point in me standing up there screaming and shouting. Like there's, there's got to be some of that, making mm. players accountable. But the most important thing for me is that the players know where they went wrong and yeah. how we're going to fix it. Talk and they need it. to be able to talk through it. And uh, I, th- I think you've got to be comfortable having your players chat and, you know, there's got to be that two-way line of communication, I think. Personally, that's that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, there hasn't been many, many video sessions where I've just gone in and thought, fuck this, I'm going to tear shreds off this team. Mm. Um, <clears throat> because for me, I just don't believe that that's effective. I think if you go in and do that, a lot of players will just go, he doesn't have the answers. Mm. To me, your job as a coach is to have the answers and provide your players with the answers and to test them to make sure that they know the answers. Yeah. So when they go out on the field, they're obviously going to be better. So for me, every every video session is just a chance to get better. has yep. to be. And I'm that if not. You've just said I had one this week where we did have a bad week and I do the defensive side of things. I had three minutes of video. So it was like 20-something small clips and we just literally talked through what we did well. Do we understand what happened here, et cetera? Um, you know, what went wrong. And, you know, once you have some explanation, a bit of feedback and chat from the players, it was probably 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah. But more what Brock said, it needs to be constructive. If you're talking more embarrassing moments from a personal review or with a coaching review, not really anything terrible. I had uh, one or two down in Canberra. They, same thing. They more talk through why did you do this or why were you here and same thing Brock said. They want you to understand why you've done something wrong or why something happened. Yeah. I don't have any embarrassing video sessions. Luke Tomlin says, so the theory is you get one, maybe two chances to win a premiership before the cap kicks in. The dogs are paying a price for trying to extend their window, yet the Roosters continue to stack their squad. Never look like feeling the cap pinch. Can you boys clear this up? TPAs. Third parties, whether people want to agree with it or not or buy into that Daily Telegraph article earlier in the year that says they don't spend as much. Again, there's still plenty of uh, loopholes and wormholes, and that's not just at the Roosters. All clubs have them. Some have more than others. We can't prove all of it, but at the end of the day... Uh, whether people want to admit it or not, what you read in the paper, what you read anywhere, there's still certain clubs that have, definitely have an advantage that is unspoken of in the third party department, and it helps them keep players. Plain and simple. Mm. Yep. Uh, Chris Cohen, who wins first out of the Dragons, Titans, Dogs, and Manly with the current form and upcoming games? It might take until round five for someone to get on the board, and that's only because the Dogs play the Dragons. Well, without looking at the draw from what you've just said, out of those teams, I'd expect. Maybe that it would be the Titans or the Dragons first. Particularly the Dragons will probably show more positive signs than anyone. But this week with Tom back for Manly and playing in New Zealand, uh, whether you believe it or not, they've got a really good record over there. That's one of those games where I've tipped against them a million times. And in recent memory, I can just see Manly beating them multiple times, regardless of how they've been playing. There was the one where a couple of years ago they kicked the two field goals in the game and Cherry Evans hit the one off the left foot from memory. But yeah, that, that they've got a bit of a hoodoo over there, the Manly, so... Who knows? Things might happen this week if the Warriors have another Barney rubble. But um, out of those four teams, the most positive signs so far have been showed from the Dragons. Mm. They just 
lacking a little bit in moments when their bench comes on and still trying to figure out that spot and how that's going to work out for the rest of the year. Marge Maguire. How good is rugby league in 2019? <laughs> and how good is Robert P. Farrer? Yeah, he's playing well. He's definitely playing well. As long as that spine keeps working together uh, and you know picking and choosing his moments like he has been, hopefully things keep going well for him. And rugby league, rugby league's outstanding. Greatest game of all. James Hughes, does Dean Post survive because Nathan Brown kept his job after back-to-back wooden spoons? No. No, the, I think the Bulldogs, there's going to be more pressure at the Bulldogs. I they, think... Uh, they're a side that... You know they don't they don't stay down for long, traditionally. I'm with you, but again, with the way things were set up there, like it's it's near impossible to really affect anything until you've got full sway on the squad and salary cap and all the other bits and pieces. So, uh, I think for them, if when they made that hire, they knew the situation they were getting into. They need to know that that's their man and ride this no, period. And I but, agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and I'm with you. But at the end of the day, if the results stay bad and they fire, and my only question is, who are they hiring? Who's out there now? The last year or two, we've had Maguire clearing a couple of guys that have been interested in. And then on the flip side of that, the one or two guys who are good rookie coaches who might be available, that is the worst first job you could possibly take. So if I'm Andrew Demetrio or a Justin Holbrook or someone like that, and this possibly pops up, or an Adam O'Brien, this is not a job I'm taking. No. There's no way I'm taking this job. So for the Bulldogs, I think they're just going to have to ride the wave regardless because I don't think there's a better candidate right now, even if they did want to bail out. Yeah, it's fair. So, yeah. Poindexter says, yeah. what do you guys think of the third man in tackles such as the one uh, Tevita Pangai laid on Tamalala? A lot of dispute online where the line is drawn between being a good shot versus a dog shot. Well, I don't think that was a dog to shot. To me, it was front on. And as coaches, again, we teach players that when someone's still standing or fighting in a tackle, if you're in the area, you finish it off. You want to knock the you want to knock that tackle to the ground. Yeah, he was still in stride. I think the awkward thing is he hit him so hard with the leg planted that he kind of went backwards over it. Um, but when you've got a man of that size, it's it's near impossible to let it go. You have to go in and finish the job. Yeah. A dog shot there is the one where you spear into the back when he's not looking or you dive at the legs. Mm. He didn't do that. He hit him front on. He got him in the chest when he was stationary. He did what any good coach want their forwards to do, which is show good intent and aggression to finish off a tackle from a dominant middle and win the play of the ball. And it's just rugby league, unfortunately. Sometimes things happen. So definitely not a dog shot in my opinion. Nah, I... I... I didn't look at that, and for one iota think that that was a dog shot. I think the only thing I took he out stood of it, over him and got into him a little yeah. bit. Yeah, my more thing was everyone blew up about it in commentary and in the media, like, oh, he took down Jason Tamalolo single handedly. I'm like, well, no, no, he there didn't. were two blokes in there. There was two blokes in there, yeah. and he just, you know, did the right thing and finished the job off, but he got hurt. But the carry on, like he, you know, dominated Jason Tamalolo. Like, it's just doing your job. He finished off a tackle. Yeah, finished it off well. Warlord Jammer says, Dragon's problems are not the spine, but an inability to defend the right-hand edge. Discuss, please. Well, their edges are a problem, but their spine is also a problem. And their bench rotation and the blokes coming into play in the middle are a problem. I, I still think... It's all a problem. There's plenty of issues there, and they've got new edges. So I agree with you partly there, but I think the bigger issue is not being able to maintain the rage that they have with the forward pack being lightened, which affects everybody. If your forwards aren't going forward, your hooker can't probe, your spine doesn't get time and space, those players don't get involved. So there's multiple issues at the moment. It's definitely not just that edge. Dustin Lane, what do you guys think of a complete regional round, have it at venues, towns that can hold 10K, every venue would sell out? Love it. Teams would spend the entire week prior to the game in the town, have open training sessions and fan events. Thoughts? Well, we spoke about this I, before. I don't know about having the whole round. But everyone should have to play but games. I think once a week or once every fortnight, a club should take it regionally. I just think for the television networks, it'd be tough to... You know, go yeah. out to all those venues and I just think once a fortnight, you know, you've got how many rounds have we got? 25 rounds with 24 games each team. Yeah. If every team took one home game 
to a regional centre. That's 16, 16 games. And we said this the other year, that, that should be the bare minimum. They all kind and of adopted area. I also think that there should be a pre-season carnival um, and round one of that should should be all in those eight games. So if you're going to have the 16 clubs, you mix them, you pick them out of a hat, whatever you do, and you say you know, to your teams, you're going here, you're going there, you're playing Penrith here or you're playing Parramatta there, well, this is where you're going. Also on those weekends, and I know it depends on the quality of the field, but if you've got like... The Dragons who have adopted Mudgy or is it Seattle that have adopted Mudgy? They kind of go there. It's been Dragons, hasn't I think it? It's the Dragons because a lot of a lot of because they're the Mudgy Dragons. Yeah, but my thing is, if you have a quality field as well that can take more than one game, make them take their jersey flag in their reserve grade and have a full round up there, yeah. so they're not just watching a first grade game and buying a ticket for that. Give them a full round. Give them your juniors. That, that comes back to scheduling so, to allow those players. So if, if they're working the New South Wales Cup players like a Sunday Arva or a Saturday night yeah. is the best time to allow the Jersey flag boys as well. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Sontran says Prime Farah or Damien Cook? Cook. So we're talking in best form career. Last form. year, Cook. But for every other year, if you know, if I got Farah, Farah's best uh, for or Farah's career or Damien Cook for last year, um, I'd take Farah's career. Farah's but I'd, take, I'd, take, I'd take Cook last year. But again, it's a hard, again, it depends it's a hard on who comparison your right is. now. Because Ford Pack, and we also haven't seen the full trajectory of Damien Cook yet because he's only had that one full year. But if you're going off what they produce, I think they're also different players. Robbie Farah was obviously a bit more smarter with the ball and a bit more of a kicking game and you know manipulated. He had a bit more speed, obviously, the earlier doors, which helped his running game and his manipulation. But Damian Cook is just an absolute rocket, and he's adding to his game now and adding those pieces like Robbie Farrell. So yeah. hard one to compare at this point in time with not as much years, I guess, to judge Damian Cook off. Mofo Storm fan, how long do you think the Eels and Tigers will stay on top for? Not long. I don't definitely don't think it's going to be you know end of the year, those two teams in the top four, that's for sure. If they show this kind of form, why not fighting for the bottom half of the eight? They could play in here. They could definitely stay in the eight. 100%. John OP, top try scorer of the year, based off what we've seen so far. If Corey Oates is healthy, he could get 30-plus. Yeah, well, I had him as my preseason prediction, but bloody Vunny got three on the weekend. It just depends. Um, I think weather's got a lot to do with it as well. Like, you look at um, Vunny was playing on a dry track in Canberra, got three. Uh, Corey Oates played on a dry track. Got, uh, I think he got two. He got two both weeks. So weather, weather plays a part as well, um, and whether you're playing day games, night games. But yeah, I'm talking splitting hairs between your Oates and your Vunnies and um, who else has scored a few in the first couple of rounds? Oh, it's probably just those two, really, isn't it? Kind um, bloody thing. I just think that Jermaine Osaka, you think, is going to get a few? I think Oates is going to see more consistent football than Vunavali. Melbourne tend to you know, adjust a bit more week to week, whereas Corey Oates is just an absolute wrecking ball, whether it be broken play, coming in the middle sometimes when they turn him under, kick returns. like he, He's just a bit more of a game-breaker, I think, just full stop as a runner. So yeah, uh, he may see a bit more opportunity, but yeah, he certainly had a strong start of the year. John O.P. says, the Daly M vote, it is on par with the legitimacy of an Opal Tower certification report. So not happy with some of the votes so far. Uh, Man, I think week to week again, when you've got different judges and different opinions and how closely they watch the games, some of them I look at and I agree with, some I look at and... I think the three, two, one's a crock of shit. My my issue is... The fact that you've got to give someone three, you've got to give someone two, you've got to give someone one... Well, I, I, I don't like it. I think we're still a bit harsh sometimes to the losing team. Like Jai Arrow on the weekend was... Did he get a point? He didn't get a single point. Yeah, he, was, he played out of his skin. And I know Moylan was good and he got the three, but I think the other points were for Feeder and maybe Johnson. And I'm like, I thought Johnson was good, but 
between like, him well, and Fafita. I've got to give more to the winning team. Jai J- Arrow fight. was single, like a one-man wrecking crew. Mm. Like he he had such an effect on that game. He had line breaks, yeah. offloads, t- like he he did more work than three forwards usually do alone. Like you can't get a point, you know. So it's a bit open to interpretation depending on who's judging it. So yeah. I, yeah. Brad Millen, he's always got some different stuff on here. Do you think LeBron will be able to beat the Monstars in the new Space Jam movie? Well, he's going to have plenty of time to practice because they're not in the playoffs. Well, I don't know if he can beat them like MJ did, but I tell you what, uh, he likes to skip games, so who knows? He, he might, might take a week off and leave the monster, <laughs> leave them hanging. The yeah. Looney Tunes against the Monstars. So, who bloody knows with LeBron James? But as uh, Boxhead said, it hasn't turned out to be such a good year so far, has it? For the old Lakers, no, unfortunately. It hasn't been. On to the Facebook questions. What have we got here? Shane Adard, should the dogs be looking at bringing Josh Reynolds home? Yes. Well, with what money at this point in time, I yes. guess, is the real question. Yeah. The, and Kieran if they Foran's, can swindle it, yes. Kieran Foran's still locked in for an absolute squill, so if that could work out. And I think, again, a lot of people like, wait, one saying it's an outrage, he's not playing in their side. They won. And then last week, again, after the weekend, I think they won reserve grade 48-4, to four, and he scored a couple of tries. And again, they're demanding he goes in the team. Why they're winning and they've got these combinations, I think people are forgetting. He barely played any football last year. Mm. And then the year prior to that, when he left the dogs, he had injury problems and hamstring. The last couple of years, he hasn't played a lot of footy full stop. Part of the buy was for culture and him being around the group and being the glue and the stories I talked about when he was at the Bulldogs. If they had multiple events on during the weekend, he got to everything. They loved him. They love his energy around the group. He's clearly a good bloke. And I think he even said himself the other day, I haven't played that much footy the last couple of years. Like, am I frustrated? 100% I am, but I can't be dirty about it. I need to play good football and I'll find my way back in when I can. Yeah. And Maguire openly said, I, I I hope I can find a spot for him on the bench or somewhere in my team. He needs to be in it. He's been a star. But like he also how, needs how to play footy. handled not playing. And, exactly. Well, so, he's been he's an example to uh, young players on how to handle being dropped and working hard to get back into the team. And again, from everyone, like, he's on a good wicket, so he can't complain, number two. And number three, Benji Marshall's retiring at the end of this year, and they've got him for two more years after. So I wouldn't be letting him go just yet, not knowing who my future is. They've got Jock Madden, a good kid from Newcastle, who won the under 18s Player of the Year last year. Yeah. Tommy Talao, if I'm not mistaken, can play six. I don't know if that's his future. You've seen more than I have. But realistically, they're going to need a partner for Brooks for possibly another 12 months or two years if one of those two guys isn't ready. So why would I let him go right now if I've got a quality halves in my midst and I'm paying Benji Marshall barely anything? Yeah. So for the Tigers, it's a good situation right now. They can go through the process of getting him back healthy and playing good football instead of just chucking him in there, getting him hurt again, or getting him down on form. So I have no problem with the way they're handling things so far. And I wouldn't let him go back to the Bulldogs if I'm the Tigers. Yeah. Benny Bennett, Robbie Farrar, can he maintain it? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Can't judge it. He's 35 or 36 years old. We're two rounds into what is a 24-round competition for an older player. It's a big ask. So if the forwards keep going forward and, and they play the way they are, I can't see why not. But it's the NRL season. Whether you're younger or older, it's it's a big demand. Yeah. So if he stays healthy, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, exactly right. J- Mitch JS, do you think the Tigers are a genuine top eight chance or have they just had two good fixtures? No, based on what I'm seeing right now, they're a genuine top eight chance. Yeah. And this is coming from a bloke who... Well, ninth last year, and run last. what did they lose? Like they didn't lose a lot, and they added Madison. The big question again was depth, their schedule. Can they yeah, get mine through? Was depth schedule. Benji being injured in the preseason, Reynolds being injured still in the preseason, or Robbie Farrell last season. We basically had questions on a lot of the older guys in the spine and maintaining the rage for the year again. Yeah. So again, we we won't know, but best form with all those players on the field right now, with the coach and the mental toughness and the way we know how fit they are and the way they're going to defend, they should push for the bottom part of the eight. Realistically. Yeah. yeah. 
Edge Matthews, how much money are the refs on? Heard a rumor this week it's up to 300k. If this is the case, I may quit my job. Besides that, the refs are going all right so far. Ben Cohen's who cannot make a decision without going to the bunker. His family must love KF. <laughs> well, I can't blame him because I bloody love KF. That's delicious. There's not much KF I don't like. Uh, elite referees deserve elite money. It's a hard job, and I don't think people actually realize how hard they have to train. Yeah. And oh, it's yeah, yeah, screw. Like, it's it's not. A, I don't think it'd be a fun job. I'd rather be a player than a referee. To be honest, they yeah. just run, and they do a lot of mental they stuff run. and questions, and then they cop all the shit from everyone. So. Yeah. I'd want pretty good money for the amount of abuse I cop if You're I was an elite. You're going to be an interesting elite. dude to be a ref. And to be an elite ref. Like, it's a big ask yeah. to get to that point. Brad Tasker, can we all just agree to boot or relocate two Sydney teams and create two new teams, one in Perth, one in Brisbane, and I reckon relocate the West Tigers to Perth and boot the Sharks. No one likes the Sharks anyway. <laughs> uh, well, I think you heard our opinion earlier on that one, champion, but I just think for us it'd be a step backwards in 2019. I think it's almost admitting defeat if we folded two teams unless someone is just that financially incapable of running their franchise when they're getting a $13 million grant basically to pay all their wages and another $4 million or so to run their club. Yeah. If you can't operate off that, you don't deserve to exist, I agree. But I think we should be aiming to get to 18, like me and Brock spoke about, developing the right amount of players and paying the bottom end and making sure that when we pop up elsewhere, it's sustainable. That's the main thing we're looking at. Oh, Cam Irving, James Graham leaving the field of the HIA and getting chicken-winged. What's with that? Well, that might be the one that I was talking about. And you got his arm twisted. Surely there has to be some independent review to ensure their players and coaches aren't taking the piss with the free interchange. And that was more my concern before. I think if this register was put in and repeat offences or repeat HIA tests, whether it's pass or fail, it may put a little more onus back on clubs to try not to bend the rules at certain moments when it seems that they are. So uh, definitely, I can't, I can't agree anymore, to be honest. I think there definitely should be an independent person there judging all their situations. Of course there should be, yeah. Tynan Jones, thoughts on the rule that defending player can tackle the attacking player in the air? I think it's dangerous. I think it's very dangerous, and I don't like it unless you're actually contesting the football. If you can genuinely contest the football, I'm fine with it. But I've seen a few of the last few weeks, and we talk about attacking kickers when they're kicking. Yeah, You get someone in the legs and get them coming down the wrong way or planting on one leg or hyperextending, we're going to have an ACL or a busted leg or something ugly very soon. Mm. I don't like it at all. Kevin McCormack, do you think the goal line short dropout and short kickoff are used more commonly nowadays? It seems to pay off three or four times a week. Risk reward. Think Desi used it as a strategy for the goal line dropout when at the doggies. Uh, they did it. Matt Moylan did it. They got a win on the weekend. Sometimes, and I think we've spoken about this from a coaching perspective or even being someone who played, I think it's harder to attack inside the tent than it is to get a dropout from 40 and work your way back in. In in uh, in a goal line dropout situation, I'm coaching 16s at the moment, so we do it uh, infrequently, and that is only because the kickers aren't at the point where they can kick accurately and consistently. Mm. Otherwise, <clears throat> as a coach, I would be saying to my players on, on goal line dropouts, we're kicking short every time. Yep. Because they're going to roll into 10 metres, 20 metres out in two plays anyway. Yeah. So they might as well contest the ball. And the thing we and spoke like you said, about. it's harder to defend. It's much easier to defend on the trial line. Well, the other thing is also at 16's level, it's hard for those boys to stop bigger players on the trial line. So for me, I don't want to invite sides down where yeah. they can just catch pass and run over one of my smaller yeah, players. At the score. NRL level, though. So the tactics are a little bit different at 16's where I am now. But yeah. NRL level, no, definitely. I'd be contesting every yeah. possession. Off your line, you're moving forward straight away. If you're going to play the ball inside the 10, you've automatically lost any kind of depth or separation. So you generally got to really, really lose metres to make metres, as we say, and set your shape up deep. Yeah. Because basically straight away, you're under pressure. If you're inside five, you're on the play the ball. Like blokes just shoot up and cut down time and space. So 
It's it's a hard spot to defend from. That's why I think teams start to do it. Black Dixon, he'll be the first team to win a game this year out of Dogs and Titans. So he's even drawn it down a bit closer. And Titans, how will the game end where they meet and end as a draw somehow? Well, I haven't looked at the draw, but you look at this week. Titans are playing south, so I don't think that's going to be pretty. No offense to your mob. And the halves are still out by the looks of it. And the Dogs are playing the Tigers, who have been red hot so far. So I don't see either of them winning this week. I don't know about next week, but we might have to just keep reviewing that on a week-to-week basis. Mm. Max McAlorum says, would you change the Broncos' halves? If so, how would you change it? I wouldn't. Oh, who are you going to put in? Tom Dearden, Tanner Boy. There's a couple of young guys that everyone's talking about are kids. They're not ready to play first grade. Sean they, O'Sullivan. They played well against Melbourne yeah, on, in the opening round, and Melbourne blitzed them. And they, they hung on and they fought. I there are to me my my major concern in Br- Brisbane winning it is the halves, but I just don't see anyone behind them that's going to really help them. No, and again I like Sean O'Sullivan, but the word is that his preseason and Seabold's thoughts are the complete opposite for the style of football he's trying to play. So apparently the word is, and again it's not rock solid, but whether smoke there's fire, he will not be used unless they're absolute desperate. Yeah, I re- I like Nick Arima as a player. My issue is the same thing we've said before. They're both first graders, Milford and him. But I think mm-hmm. they're both sixes, and I think, if anything, more that impact utility type player, and they're both able to play one. Six and one. Yeah. Uh, but the way Nick Arima played the other night and having the coaching of Seabold as compared to Wayne Bennett, who's not really a hands-on technical coach, I could see Nick Arima developing further. Like, if he plays the way he did the other night, that was a perfect sevens game. Yeah. Kicked well, controlled situations, pushed his team around the park, pushed, supported, ran. But it all starts off a forward pack. And like you said, week one, they didn't have the platform. They were kick pressured. They played off the back foot. Halves generally don't look good when they get battered in the middle. Ask Michael Morgan how he felt the other night when his forward pack got pummeled and he was constantly under kick pressure and he had a shit night, really. Yeah. It all starts with your middles. So Absolutely. They have the right coach. Their coach is going to maximize that squad and he has a better all-round roster to me as far as skill, ability, and the way they play to match the way he wants to coach them. Would he swap the spine he's got right now for the south spine? 100% he would, but do I think he would be able to maximise the other bits around him to get enough out of the, of the spine that he does have to, you know, possibly win a premiership would be a top four side? 100%. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think they're definitely, definitely heading the right direction. Bruce J. Hadley, I'm seeing a trend towards small locks with more ball playing skills. Do you see this trend continuing? Well, that's sort of the way the game's heading a little bit. I think the value of uh, having another passer and in the middle of the field to link to your edges is useful, but you need to have the right skill set. If they're going to play at lock, they need to be able to defend in the middle. They still need to play big minutes, though. They're still That's playing the as an extra so you're still Like, it's got to be your Radley, Cam Murray prototype player. Jack DeBellin, when he was playing, DeBellin. hits like a sledgehammer, plays big minutes. Dale Finucane does it for Melbourne. Basically, your lock mm. is a third ball player. He's a link man now, they call him. The link man is the guy that put, passes that ball out the back to a half. He's not an overall ball player or demanding uh, ball at the ruck or running plays, but realistically, he's just an extra middle forward with a good skill set. Some can play 80, some play 65, but for the most part, teams the last few years have played a guy who's just a middle who has extra skill set and extra minutes in him. Yeah. But yeah, are they getting a bit lighter and a bit more skillful as we push ahead? Yeah, they are, but like, look at Jai Arrow. Jai Arrow is not a passer of the football, but he has a huge motor, plays 80 minutes, and he's got the ability to offload, and he's got good footwork. Yeah. Um, Cam Murray's a different lock to him. Josh Maguire is a different lock again, but he also has that link playability, but he can play 70 minutes and get the rough and tumble. So there's there's slight variations between them, but there is a few more creeping back in that do have a bit more of a pass to their game, I'd agree, or a more attacking players rather than just a battering ram. Yeah. So, yeah. Joel Dodson, the worst haircut of the round. Hashtag new segment. My. 
You don't oh, like Mahu? Fanua. Well, I actually watched a game at uh, Joel's house on the weekend, and he, he wasn't impressed with Kieran Foran's man bun. He was a bit confused with it. It's not quite a full man bun, and it was short on the size. It was a bit awkward, but yeah. I, I think for me right now, it's the mullet duo with like the mad like soul glow perm back at the, the Sharkies between yeah. Andrew Fetter and Josh Durgan. I don't know if they're cutting each other's hair or their barber or what the go is there, but they're awful. I love them. When on the field, it just looks rough as guts, like old 80s or 70s style, but they're disgraceful haircuts. So, yeah. there you go. Nice work, Joel. Aaron Toner. Get what your... about the passenger of the week? Where did he go? I know. What's going on? We need the passenger of the, the week. The passenger though. of the week needs to come back. Get on board. Sydney Millows, Justin O'Neill, the Shaw Marshall Rugby League. Surely the Cowboys have a better stock outside of backs than this. <laughs> well, the guy did play for Australia dropped. and Queensland. Again, he was in the Melbourne system. And the year that he did play in the reps, they did win the grand final. I think he's a good footballer, but yeah, the last couple of years he's been a bit hit and miss. He does make errors, and defensively, I don't think he's been that great. But he's been punted this week, so you got your wish. Zach Prevera, will we start to see more short dropouts from other teams like the Sharks have been doing? Most teams prefer to defend the line, anyways, and you end up with a 50 50 chance of getting the ball back. Well, you may see it like we spoke about earlier if uh, teams are happy to defend from inside 10, which they generally do. Forrest Bell, how refreshing are Graham Annesley's weekly ref briefings? I know it's only round three and there's been no super controversial moments yet, but at least he gets up and fronts the media and protects his men from the media. I love it. I think it's good. Um, people whinging about it, they don't have. you don't have to watch it. Just so, get on the front foot and own it. it. They're owning it. That's the best part about it. They're not hiding away or dancing around decisions like last year going, oh, I don't really agree with that. He just yeah. literally comes out and they just cop it on the chin. So far, there hasn't been anything huge, but if there is... I think they'll handle it fine. That's the best part of it. And it's not going to give, uh, you know, bait and mail to the papers for a couple of days and rubbish right up and stir and give controversy and fire under the fans, I think. So uh, I think we're going to hear a lot less this year, which is a good thing. Andrew Wales says, why do Brisbane need a second team when the Titans are an hour away? And if there's another Brisbane team, Redcliffe are the only choice in his opinion. No, I think centre of Brisbane. I think central Queensland, yeah, or southeast Queensland. There's a couple of pockets there that could definitely do with the team. Why do they deserve a second team? Well, the Gold Coast is the Gold Coast. It's been a black hole for everybody. That's not saying that because Brock's here next to me, but the A-League didn't survive there. They tried to put an NBL team that didn't survive there. The Suns aren't doing any good, and the well, Titans... This is our, what, third or fourth crack at it as an NRL franchise? An, an hour away from Brisbane. Like, go back to what we just said before. Yeah, fella battling there. Brisbane filled the stadium, and they only get 10 games a year. You're telling me if they didn't get 20 games a year compared to having nine teams in Sydney, they couldn't get you know good crowds for 20 games a year? I beg yeah. to differ. They're football mad. They're crazy. They don't have enough football to saturate that area or feed that area. So I don't see why you couldn't have a second Brisbane team. Yeah. Chris Hughes says, with all the team, I'll talk again about relocating to Brisbane. Do you think it's a little short-sighted to expect that Queenslanders will get behind a Sydney club that they've hated for years if they move to Brisbane? And do you think it would be better to relocate a club or a local powerhouse with an established fan place, i.e. Redcliffe, to join? Well, again, Brisbane Bombers, Redcliffe, somebody who's established, someone that's going to have money behind them. The NRL is going to have to chip in a little bit as well. But I think the main thing here is what we said before. We don't think a relocation would work. And again, it's short-sighted by the game. And if anything, it's me admitting defeat if we have to shrink or cut clubs to be able to relocate them. We should be in a position at this point in time with a TV deal and our stance on the game and player development and all that where we are expanding, not trying to shrink or force people to go elsewhere. Yeah. Giant Laidler, the Panthers letting Yo back on the field after he was clearly concussed for a second week in a row and scoring. Uh, he what wasn't clearly out concussed. Well, he, the he, argument, he, he copped a head knock. He was clearly he passed, dazed. He passed his test. He's, He's clearly, saying here the HIA is a joke, but he did pass his test. So it's not a concussion. 
this is the thing. I think there's a there's a there's a mix up within um, you know people understanding what is a concussion, and this is what James Graham's arguing. He's saying a lot of people have got all these really strong opinions, but I'm doing more research than anyone, and I'm not professing to be an expert on it because I I don't know, but I I know the difference between a head knock and a concussion. Players can return to the field after a head knock. They cannot return to the field after a concussion. The test is there to best determine whether a player has had a concussion or not, and that's through the current testing and the methods that they've got. That's it. Yeah. Just because he's dazed doesn't mean he's he's concussed. Yeah. Anyway. All good. We've gone through that one a bit. Luke Smith, Luke Keery, how good was he on the weekend when it mattered? What are your thoughts on him playing for New South Wales? I I'd remember, love to see him there. I remember him saying he wanted to play for Queensland a year or two ago. I'm not a Roosters fan, but surely he Get is nearly in. first picked. Get how in. good is having footy back go to the pennies? Because I think Nathan Cleary struggled. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest there. I I'll, think realistically that this year I'd move on from James Maloney, and I think the Panthers yeah, would like James fair. Maloney not to play. So if we blooded Cleary last year, I'm playing Cleary and Keary, unless they think Mitchell Pearce is the right one to come back in. But I can already say everyone blowing up right now if Pearce got picked again. So Right now... On form, Pierce is ahead of Cleary. But Cleary's got the fact that incumbency twenty years he's young, old and he defends well. And and like Ivan said last year, the you know, they he didn't want to see him picked unless they were going to stick with him for a few years, so I get that as well. I think they will. I but really I also do. think there's gonna be a fine line between incumbency, pick and stick, uh, and form. And form. Yeah. The only thing about the Queensland thing is my argument before, he shouldn't have to play for New South Wales under this new system where they've figured out if you play junior footy here you technically play for New South Wales. The kid was born in Ipswich. He played up in Queensland until he was 15-something years old, and somehow... We're he's talking been, about Kiri. Yeah, he's been classified as a New South Welshman, which is ridiculous. Craziness. Unfortunately, under this new system, that's how it is. As long as he wants to play for New South Wales or a couple of years on his mind's changed, that's the main thing. You don't want someone coming in half-hearted to play in that environment. Does yeah. his form warrant it? 100%. I hope he does want to play because Kiri and Cleary moving forward will be a great pairing for us in the future if they both play to their maximum potential with the forward pack we blooded and some of the young backs we got, we have a really good-looking team moving in the future. So have to wait and see what happens there. Jeff Sims, is there a place in the game for a five-minute sin bin? Well, I think we've gone over this one a million times. We yes, both think definitely. there is, in particular in goal-line situations uh, where you don't think the infringements are big enough to give 10, but it just get teams out of the ruck a bit quicker, I think. So that's one of those ones we've talked about. Uh, a couple of people, Jamie Smith talking about the Bulldogs and making them more competitive. Well, I think we've gone over that a little bit, but... Changes to be made. People want Reese Martin in, a couple of guys there, Nick Meaney. There's some young guys they can put in, but realistically, they're not going to be more competitive until they've got full capability of their salary cap and more top-level players in their team. Stephen Moorcroft, first win for the Titans or the Dogs. Well, again, I don't think it'll be this week, so we'll have to wait and see how the draw pans out. Matt Ballantyne, regarding rookie sensations as Dylan Brown, if a club gives a player his first-grade debut, should that player then be exempt from the salary cap for that team? or partially exempt, this would encourage junior development and help increase one-club players. Well, how long is the exemption for that? That's the problem, because plenty of teams debut players like in out of Penrith and Parra and a couple of those clubs, but if you gave them exemptions, how long for, or percentages, how long for? Because otherwise they'd have an unfair advantage over clubs that don't do development. So... Yeah. I, I think that there's got to be ways to... Um, I think the years of service thing that they used to have is the right way yeah. to do it, but I think the years needs to come down because it's less common now that they stay around for long enough. So I think it used to be 10 years and then they brought it down maybe to eight. I think maybe now if you've served a club for, say, five years, you might get a 10% discount or something like that. Yeah. But they, they need to do something because generally right now, 
players blow up within two or three years because they're on a short-term deal and they play well for 12, 18 months, and then somebody jumps on them straight away with big money that clubs that develop them can't afford. But It's an interesting one. I think something it's an area of the game which needs to be looked at. Absolutely. Yep. Ibrahim Chami says, will the West Tigers play consistently under their new master coach and beat the Doggies and make it three wins in a row? They struggled for consistency last season against the bottom sides, but fingers crossed uh, that changes this Sunday. Well, the way the Dogs are playing right now, there's no way I could see them beating the Tigers. Yeah. Uh, coach, players, doesn't matter what it is. It's only three rounds in, but they're, they're poles apart at this point in time. Absolutely. So, Jeff Gumbleton, do you guys think that in all cases of salary cap rorting that the players should be allowed to get away with playing dumb? I'm not pointing fingers at anyone in particular. I know we blame player managers, rightly so. But if I get a dodgy tax return done, I can blame the agent as much as I like, but I still have to pay back the money. Maybe finally, punishing players and making them accountable to say their managers no more dodginess will be the most successful way to stop it. Your thoughts? Yeah, they've, they've, there's got to be more accountability. I still, like again, having had a manager or having got mates that have managers, most blokes are completely blind nine times out of ten to what the managers are doing. I think that's the problem. Should they be more accountable to the yes. situation? Yes, but a lot of guys don't understand contracts or the financial side of any. I'm not trying to give them a way out, but, but honestly, well, a lot of them don't know the ins and outs of the contract. They need to know it. Yeah, well, they, I think as soon as one of them really gets a harsh consequence, players are going to then think, well, I don't want to lose any cabbage. I don't want to be suspended. I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm going to find the time to invest, um, educate myself so I best understand what's going on in terms of my contract and my financials. Yep, all right. That's my opinion. I'm with you, but I'm just saying, like, again, there is a lot in an NRL contract and there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. And managers are managers for a reason. break that down. Take some of the shit out of it. Like, you know, break it down in terms of look. This is your stock standard stuff. This means that you know, if you die, you get this. If you all, all that stuff is stock standard, surely it's got to be the intricacies of your contract. You need to understand what they what's are. third parties. What's your salary? Correct. What's this? This is who's paying me when? This is how much? Money. Correct. These are triggers you've got in your clause. This is this. It and should be more. I, I think it's horseshit that players don't know those things because, of course, they do. They're the ones agreeing to put them into the contracts. They know. I think, I think the, the, the breakdown in communication and where the dodgy stuff is happening is where that money comes from, who it's paid to, you know. Our club's given a manager a brown paper bag. He's putting it in his bank account. He's then flicking it to the player. He's telling the player, look, it's all above board, It's a mate. third party, yeah, right? Correct. That's my whole point. Do you know I what I mean? I don't like, think they get full I, I'm not sure whether... No, and, and that's, because that's that gets a part them of a bigger fee as well. That's a part of it. Area. They're never going to know. That's where I'm saying that yeah. the managers need to be way more accountable. Yeah. Cam Finlayson, the last one we've got here. How do I get in touch with the stats guru, Mr. Middleton? This stat came up on the NRL page, but I have no idea if it's legit. In the last five years, 83% of Warriors tries have gone to the video ref versus 42% of the Storm and 48% of the Roosters. The closest team to the Warriors is the Titans at 65%. Again, not my stat. So mm-hmm. maybe saying there that there's a little bit more doubt over some of the lower-end teams or other teams compared to the higher-end teams as far as the tries being scored. Uh, I don't know if is Middle on Twitter or something like I that. I think he is. Yeah, I, I thought David Middle was on Twitter, Cam. So maybe if you jump on there and uh, see if you can find him, we might have a look later on and see if we can find him on there. But um, yeah, I, I always thought he was on Twitter, Boxer. I think you've sent him a few tweets over the yeah, time, haven't you? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he is. He's on Twitter, hundred percent. So yeah, maybe that's the one to look at. But there you go. All the fan questions done, mate. Now it's time to jump in and do our gossip, our tips, our best bets, and have a look at how we're going with our tips for the week. But uh, that one is brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate and their best bet on the weekend, the Panthers, and that offer from Ned's $250 
deposit match if you open an account with them. Pretty handy if you like a bit of extra cabbage. They got up with their best bet, so one from two. Good way there. They had the Panthers plus two, and they got the result there. So harder to tip at the start of the year, but good for them. And they've obviously got that early bird offer for our listeners out there. You can get onto their total NRL package, over 450 bets. Total for the year given to you, lines, totals, props, all sorts of variety in bets. Lots of thought and analysis put into those. Six ninety-nine, $100 discount on the price usually of 800 And if you don't get a profit return, you get the 2020 package free box head. So pretty good going there. And I think they had a pretty solid week again this week, the boys. Uh, and Mr. Gossip and our tips. I think you got... What did you get? You got six, I think. I got five and Gossip got five. So the scores have now moved on to me and you being equal on nine. Yeah. And Gossip is on seven. And uh, looking at things for Mr. Gossip, what he's got in the mailbag for this week, Anthony Seabold apparently is looking at his roster, and rightfully so. He's at a new club and looking at how he can make some culls or changes to get some salary cap space. Mr. Gossip has got word again that there's the possibility of Alex Glenn moving on and potentially to the Titans. So see what happens there. That was rumoured before the season kicked off. Obviously nothing happened, but... Potentially something there is that in the why, works. Is that why Boyle's moved? Don't know. Maybe clearing some cut. Not too sure, but yeah, potentially a few players that he'll look to move on that aren't his or on the back end to free up some more money for these young kids. But Dean Pay, as we spoke about before, should be safe. According to Mr. Gossip, he is not safe, surprisingly. The board is in a situation where if the results stay poor, they will intervene. But Mr. Gossip says he's got the same concerns we do. Who are you employing if you get rid of him? That's exactly And the right. situation he's in right now. It's a, it's a dog shit situation to be in. Pardon the pun, but who are you getting? And out of those coaches I mentioned before who are looking for gigs, how they many would, would you employ? They wouldn't want to start with that job. Yeah. They're not going to take that job unless. But also, they're... how many of them would you employ? But again, it's career suicide. I'd be going right? after Holbrook. That's who I'd be going. And after. I wouldn't take the job if I was Holbrook. No, I wouldn't. So, no, that, I think he's he's now in a position where he can almost box seat. Him and Adam O'Brien, to me, are the two at the moment that are... I still think Adam O'Brien will be, hopefully, sitting there for a couple of years, just learning off another great coach, then coming Mm. back to Melbourne, possibly. I think that's a real possibility. I I am hoping, because I don't think Robinson's going to retire before Bellamy. And I don't know if there'll be a job before that. No, Robinson's not going to. No way. So that's my real hope there. Craig Craig has a say. He's going to go around again. He's going to stay. But we'll have to wait and see. But I agree with Mr. Gossett there, as do you. Gareth Widop to leave in season. St. George of the War say no, but Mr. Gossip says, well, there's smoke, there's fire. You said at the start you didn't think he'd see the season out. I said I'm at the point where I'd basically just freeze him out or get rid of him. Or if you're going to play him at six, what are you saying to Norman or Dufty if you drop him in the cup? Yeah. Like, just band-aids on problems. Just rip the band-aid off, move on. If he's not going to be there next year, move forward with what your future is because that's your future. That's where you're at. Correct. Write it off. Keep going. Uh, there you go. That's all the gossip. For this week. Bit of cost. But moving on to the tips and our bets brought to you by the Pro Sports Syndicate. First game we've got here for the week is the Broncos versus the Dragons Thursday night up there at Suncorp Stadium. And as far as changes are concerned, no surprise for the Broncos. They are 1-17 to for the team. They named last week Payne Haas and Matt Lodge, obviously still unavailable. Through suspension for the Dragons, they're not panicking just yet. Paul McGregor. He's stuck with the same spine setup. He's dropped Josh Kerr, who got his debut last week, and Corbin Sims is back now that his two-week suspension is over. So a bit more relief on the bench there. A guy legitimately who can play some minutes and did a good job at the back end of last year for the Broncos. Yeah. So that's a bit of help. But uh, up there, Suncorp, still no Frizzell, still no DeBellin. 
I know they get that little bit of help on the bench, but the way that Brisbane played last week, I think they can give some real trouble. Broncos. The Dragons and uh, Mr. Gossip, yourself. We're all in agreement in that situation, every single one of us. I'm going to have a two-leg mouldy as well. Broncos are in it. All right, well, we'll talk about our best bets at the end. But the Broncos, $1.36 favorite with the Pro Sports Syndicate. Three ten are the Dragons. Minus eight is the line. One to 12, 290 Broncos, 450 Dragons, 13 plus for the Broncos, 240, 750 for the Dragons. Second game down at Canberra, the early game on the Friday night is the Raiders versus the Newcastle Knights for the Raiders. Force change with Joe Tapine breaking his thumb early last week. John Bateman goes from lock into the back row. And Ryan Sutton, the pommy, starts at lock on the bench. A debutante, another one. Corey Horsberg last week. Now they've got Hudson Young. Interesting story. Uh, he was a Newcastle Knights junior who got busted by Sada for a supplement back in the day when they, I think they banned a couple of those pre-workout things or it's something that really wasn't performance enhancing or too bad, but it got a couple of guys caught out for taking supplements on the list. So he had a couple of years out. Back with Canberra last year, he played some flag. I think he scored a couple of tries first couple of rounds and had a huge pre-season. And, you know, a couple of years on, 21 years old, now he's debuted in first grade. So Unbelievable. Good week for young uh, Hudson there. And on the Newcastle side of things, Nathan Brown, as expected, not panicking, same one to 17. Uh, for me in this one, first road game, it is in Canberra. It is a hard place to play, but I am not certain on the Raiders' spine just yet. I think their forwards did a good job last week and they rolled, but are they able to cash in? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to go with Newcastle, but not super confident. I'm going to go with the Raiders at home. Well, you'll have Mr. Gossett with you there. You're both on the Raiders. It's a hard place what to time, go play. Is it 6 o'clock game? It is the 6 o'clock yeah, game. I like that time slot for Canberra. It's a hard place to go play down mm. there. Uh, there was some signs last week, but yeah, I think the errors and all that, obviously Melbourne punish you more than anyone when you make those kind of mistakes. But um, Some yeah. of the stuff that Newcastle produced last week worried me. I really liked them the week before. I thought that was a game that they really should have won against Penrith on the weekend. So, And I thought Canberra were good. I, I thought they, they fought really hard. Uh, it was probably that early period of the game when Melbourne got the jump on them. But from, from then on, I thought they competed fairly well with Melbourne. Yep, not disagreeing with you. See how that one pans out. But gossips on the Raiders as well. And the odds of the Pro Sports Syndicate, $1.65 for the Raiders, two twenty five for the Knights, minus 3.5 the line. 1-12 Raiders, 285 three forty the Knights, 13-plus the Raiders, three thirty six dollars the Knights. Parramatta versus the Roosters. Didn't think I'd be saying this is a game I'm looking forward to, but given the start... Really intrigued to see how the Eels go. But again, that comes down to who plays for the Roosters. Um, looking at their lineup, Brett Morris is out and Lindsay Collins is out. They have named both Friend and Cronk. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. In the extended bench, again, they've kept Brock Lamb and Lachlan Lamb. So they've got cover in case. Uh, they've got Radley playing at 13. Again, he could potentially go back in a nine if need be. Um, but Tedavano, Palasa Famasuli, who's a pretty strong player, he's held his spot on the bench over Collins and Crichton there. Orbison starts back in the back row, and Matt Ikavalu is the replacement on the wing, who had a pretty good World Club challenge and mm. had a couple of good years there at Wyong. For Parramatta, the only change they have is Michael Jennings comes straight back in for Josh Hoffman in the centres. Fair enough. I was look, waiting to see the lineups for this because, if honestly, if those two players were out from what I've seen from the Eels, I was going to try and tip the upset. But now they put those guys back in. I'm going to go with the Roosters. But if they pull out on game time again and they play the way they've been playing, this could be a really interesting game. 
I think it will be. So, it's a good time um, to get the Roosters, I think, because they haven't hit hot form. I'm going to tip the Roosters, but uh, an Eels victory, based on what I've seen, wouldn't surprise. This uh, this could be a good 1-12 to 12 game, I think, but the odds with this one, with the Pro Sports Syndicate, Mr. Gossip was on the Roosters as well, and all of us are. The favourites at $1.40, 295 for Para, minus 7.5 the line, 1-12 to 12 Roosters, 290, 4.50 the Eels, 13 plus the Roosters, 250, $7 the Eels. Manly versus the Warriors oh. over in New Zealand early Saturday game. This no, is a manly. hard. It's at Manly, isn't it? It's a Seagulls game. Oh, it's in Christchurch. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's in New Zealand, but oh. it's their home game. But Tommy T, he's back. That's a positive. Adam Fanua Blake is back from suspension. They've named Curtis Sirin, and even though he had a bit of a head knot last week, so we'll see how he plays. Manisi Fanu holds his bench spot, as does Corey Waddell. Brendan Elliott is pushed out to the extended bench, and Kalepi Tanganoa also pushed out to the extended bench. For the Warriors, there is no changes, but they have to wait and see if Sam Lasone beats the judiciary. He got a two-week charge. beats the charge. So if he is out, they've got Beal, Liggy Sal, Carl Lawton, and Tavita Harris on the bench. I'd probably say they'll go with Beal or Liggy Sal. Look, this is in Christchurch, and after what's going on in New Zealand, I'm with I'm you. I'm tipping the Warriors. I think they'll be, again, emotionally charged. That's the main reason. Um, I think Tommy back, and they've got a bit of a hoodoo over there, and they seem to play really well, Manly over there. From recollection, I can remember multiple games where they were outsiders and got the job done. But, but Christchurch, like you man. said, the other week, that that was huge. Uh, our condolences again to anyone over there, and you know yeah, thoughts and prayers for the situation. But yeah, I, I think this will, for that game. This will be completely different to the home game the other week. I think this will be next level. This is, so, yeah, um, yeah, bit of bit well, of. Bit of help there with Tommy coming back, but yeah, let's, this is a real test for Manly this week. And the hopefully Warriors. the Warriors can put on a show and yeah, raise some spirits over there. Hundred percent agree. And Mister Gossip agrees with us there, so it's a clean sweep on the Warriors with the Pro Sports Syndicate. Plus, Manly stink. They've stunk the first two weeks. Well, blunt and fair, but you know, Warriors were gone one week and they were terrible. But terrible. Tommy T back was going to help Manly definitely. Hundred percent. It's an extra ball player, extra runner, uh, better organizer defensively from the back, but. With the Pro Sports Syndicate, Warriors favourites $1.60, 235 for Manly. Minus four is the line. One to twelve for the Warriors is two eighty five, three fifty for the Eagles. Thirteen plus for the Warriors, three fifteen, six twenty five for the Eagles. Second game up there, North Queensland, the Cowboys start life without Jason Tamalolo, and it's a fair reshuffle here. Tamari Martin, as I mentioned earlier, I'd play him at fullback. Well, guess what? He's now the fullback. Jordan Kahu, who I prefer as a center, he's gone to centers. Justin O'Neill and Tom Opachak, both centers, have been punted. Ben Hampton, who I thought might have got first crack at fullback, is now getting a run at center. So a couple of changes I don't mind, but maybe not in the right positions. Jake Clifford goes into six, Morgan at seven. So I think there that brings someone with a better kicking game and more organizing to let Morgan focus more on running, whereas Martin is more of a runner like Morgan. So probably a bit more balance in the halves now. The new Ford pack makeup is Cohen Hess this week and Gavin Cooper, who have been rotating, it seems, between starting and bench. They're all starting this week. And the new man added to the bench is Corey Jensen. Uh, on the other side of things for the Sharks, no surprise for them. They are unchanged. And Paul Gallon has his record-breaking 329th game to be the most capped Shark ever. He equaled ET last week. Uh, Tamalala out up there. A lot on the line. But I liked what I saw from <clears throat> the Sharks last week. And I think they're just good at making things ugly. So whether on the road or not, uh, I'm going to go to the Sharks in a very close game. I'm going to tip the Cowboys up there. Fair enough. See how this forward pack responds. I do like that reshuffle, to be honest. I do like Martin at the back. Clifford in the halves. I think that's going to bring a bit more, you know, 
I've got to be honest, I just don't like Cronulla. I know you don't like Cronulla. I like Nakora, Katawa. I like that new right edge they're building. There's a few guys there I'm still not a big fan of, but I think they're on the right path. Um, and they're still gritty as all hell defensively. So I'm going to go them in a close one on this one. Mr. Gossip, who's he gone? He's on the Sharkies as well. And with the Pro Sports Syndicate, they're $1.85 favorite, $1.95 for the Cowboys, minus one and a half the line. One to twelve sharks, two eighty three fifty on the Cowboys. Thirteen plus the sharks, four dollars five twenty five for the Cowboys. Panthers storm uh, Penrith home game, but getting out to the country as you spoke about before. Bathurst for the third or fourth year changes there. Josh Mansour is back in the lineup, so Malakai retains Lesniak's back to the reserves. Regan Campbell Gillard's name to start off coming off the bench. Frank Winterstein goes to the interchange uh, to the starting side to replace Isaiah Yo, who's out for the week concussed. It says here in brackets, and Terrell Fumano has been added back to the bench. The Storm, no surprise, no injuries, no changes. And on this one, the Storm head to Bathurst looking to continue their dominance over Penrith. They've won 17 of their past 19 against the Panthers. Uh, storm. I'm going the Storm. Storm comfortably. I know it's out in Bathurst, but from what I've seen early on, the Penrith. way... They're Penrith playing will get the blown off the park by Melbourne if they keep playing the way they're playing. And Melbourne come out and things stick. If Melbourne get the start, that's the biggest worry, I think, for Penrith. Because uh, I know people say they can play that out of the football and real things back in like last year. We're but flirting with going to this too. We're flirting with getting in the car. It's going to be a I'm not scared. bloody long day if we figure out a way to do that, but we'll see what happens. I'm not scared. But yeah, I'm on the storm here. I like what I've seen in the first two rounds. No changes obviously helps. Penrith, uh, big improvement, but still a lot more to see. Mr. Gossip here agrees. He's on the Storm with the Pro Sports Syndicate. $1. fifty-seven favorite. Another Storm, two forty for the Panthers. Minus four and a half the line. One to twelve Storm, two eighty-five, three seventy for the Panthers. Thirteen plus Storm, three dollars, six twenty-five. The Panthers, Tigers, Dogs. I don't really think this one's going to need a lot of excuse uh, or explanation. But the Dogs, or sorry, the Tigers, uh, they're unchanged, and Josh Reynolds is in the reserves again. So wait and see what happens in. That side of things, but after two wins, I, I doubt a change will happen. The Bulldogs, though, big changes. They've got Nick Meany going to fullback. Harrow Irinara is off the bench to start in the back row, and they're giving a debut to Jaden Ockenball, who was a massive back row in the 20s. who has been converted into a winger. He has a bit of Jamal Idris about him with the hair. Uh, will Hopwade has moved to the centers in that, while Reese Martin has been recalled. So there'll be plenty of super coach nuffies out there who are plenty excited about that. But off the bench, I doubt he's going to goal kick. Chris Smith and Offahigi Ogden are also added to the bench. Christian Crichton's been dropped. Fatala Mariner, Marso Montoya, and Suaso Su are all in the reserve. So heavy changes there and needed after the first two weeks, I guess. Uh, whether it brings a result or not, I guess it just puts guys on notice. But this one's easy for my Tigers after what I've seen. Yeah. Tigers. They're a lot better defensively. They've been solid on attack um, and sweeping changes this early is usually not a good thing. The one thing, yeah. I was going to say something. I'm not going to say it. Say it. No, I'm not. You have to. No. You can't do that and then no, pull no. out. All good. You dog. Move on. You dog. Move on. Mr. Gossip agrees. Clean sweep on the Tigers again. And with the Pro Sports Syndicate, $1.43. The Tigers, two eighty for the Dogs. Minus 7.5 is the line. 1 to 12 Tigers, two ninety four fifty for the Dogs. 13 plus Tigers, two fifty seven dollars for the Dogs. And the last game of the round, it's your mob. The Gold Coast. I'll be Tigers. there at ANZ. I will be one of three people at this game. Oh, up against the Bunnies. Uh, the Bunnies looking good two weeks in a row. No surprises. They are unchanged. But Liam Knight, much like Lasone, who is named on the bench, he's got a beat of charge. He's up for, for a week, I spraying think. Spraying air in his mouth. He's trying, <laughs> he's trying to get a downgrade for a chicken wing or something he yeah, did in that right. game. 
uh, on the side of the Titans, <laughs> you also have an unchanged lineup. And looking in your reserves, there's going to be no late sneakies with the halves. None of them have been named. So, Tyne Roberts still out. Ashley Taylor still out. He must have torn his fucking hamstring. Oh, How long did he's like, quad? He's quad. And I think Roberts got an Achilles strain when he it. tried to get in that fight. Oh, so, mate, we can't even get our best team on the field. I don't, I don't even need to give a reason why I'm tipping South. Yeah, South. Until Titans show me otherwise. Titans have scored six points in the first two rounds. Yeah. The Titans have scored six in the first five <laughs> minutes of this game. Please. Well, I think we all know who Mr. Goss is. I'll be there. Tip. If you see someone jump out of the top level four uh, of the ANZ members, it's me. Yeah. Well, Mr. Gossip, he's on South as well. And they're a dollar. Twelve and a half star. A dollar twenty one with Jesus. the Pro Sports Syndicate, four forty for the Titans, twelve and a half is the line. One to twelve South, two ninety, five fifty for the Titans, thirteen plus a dollar ninety two. For the South Sydney and thirteen dollars for the Gold Coast Titans, but best bets so far we've had four bets over two weeks. Box, yeah, you've got zero. That's okay. It's okay because I was close on the weekend with both. You were. Oh, what did I have here? You had the Broncos one to twelve. That yeah. one obviously got outside. And you no, the... but that one right. If they didn't kick that field goal, then the try at the end, like that was closer than what. Yeah, well, losing the players doesn't help. Then yeah. they got knocked out. Jason Tumbler yeah, yeah, went yeah. off, so that doesn't help. Yeah. And you had the Roosters 13 plus, who obviously got reeled back in the second half when they had injuries. So that doesn't help either. If you're Did a the Roosters not win 13 plus. No. What did they win by? 26 18 or something, didn't it? It was only. Oh, it was 8 points. 12. So they reeled them back in with all the injuries. 18. Yeah. Oh, God. I've, I'll be out. Yeah, Brent was, Morris I'll, went off. Luke Curry went for phase. a HIA, and somebody else went for a HIA. That's okay. So I'll bounce back. That's where you're at. Uh, that's why you don't back fucking margins. Two weeks in a row, Melbourne one to twelve. I stuck with it. It's been a winner. So yeah, good on you. There you go. Uh, the other one I had was Cowboys one to twelve, which is completely wrong because they didn't win the game. And injuries cruel me in that one, obviously. Yeah. What do you got this week, bro? What do you like? I'm going. To, I'm going two multis. All right. What do you I'm got? I'm going the Broncos head to head, Storm head to head. That's my first multi. So Broncos, dollar thirty six, I think they are, and the Storm are dollar fifty seven. So you're getting about two bucks or something. Eh? I think it's two twenty for that one. All right, so say roughly two twenty. And the second one, I'm going South thirteen plus into the Tigers head to head. South thirteen plus and Tigs. So you're taking the dollar ninety two. Yeah, I sure am. And then you've got. Who's that? The Tigers at a dollar forty-three. That'll be decent. Also. So I think it's about two seventy-five, isn't it? Something like that. I'll tell you soon. What was it? Dollar ninety-three. Dollar ninety-three. Times what? And a dollar forty-three. I've got it up here. Two seventy-five. Two seventy-six to be precise. Lewis knows too much about bloody gambling odds. Too you, many. Too you, many multis. You've been listening to Laurie, the TAB. Well, I am going for the third week in a row. Still minus twelve. Oof. I think they'll keep chipping away. So I've gone that as my first best bet. And my second one, much like yourself, I've got a multi. But I'm taking the Sharks minus one and a half at $1.90 into the Tigers head-to-head. So similar to you, I figured it out. It was two seventy six, I think. Gold. So there you go. See if I can get two this week. Hopefully, that'd be nice. Hopefully, you get a double up as well. And uh, yeah, that'd be nice. That would uh, be nice. Big thank you to the Pro Sports Syndicate for coming on board again this season. Uh, look out for that package and the early discount. Look out for the betting promo offers, the sign-up bonuses, and their best bets. Uh, close week. Week one didn't pan out that well with the Titans. Week two panned out well with the Panthers. Let's see how the form keeps going. And that's us for another week, Boxhead. It is. So there you go, everybody out there. In a couple of weeks' time, once we've finished up some of our coaching duties and we've got a bit more time, 
We're going to start looking at doing some YouTube live stuff, whether that uh, is like a simulcast with a show or the fan questions again box set or something like that. We don't quite know yet, um, but we're looking into doing that. And our game casts will be back when we do... Yeah, yeah. Once, once footy's over. Right now it's a bit hard with training and other bits and pieces, but we'll start doing game casts when we get back into things in a couple of weeks' time. So there'll be more content for everybody out there. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. So there you go. Reviews of the games from the weekend. Looked at the round ahead, gossip, our set of six thoughts, all your fan questions, tips, odds. God, best bets. What, what don't we do? We're in depth, that's for sure. Yep. And we ramble, but we bloody love our rugby league. That's the most important thing. And hopefully everybody out there does love their rugby league as well and love the show. Mm. Review us on iTunes. Refer us to any friends who love rugby league. Listen in. And most importantly, enjoy your week and enjoy your rugby league. Bring it on, give us more, give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.